Hey everybody, this is Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you yet another awesome episode of the podcast. Um, I know I probably promised this to you guys last week, but, you know, I got a little busy and I figured, you know, the previous episode was a pretty long one, so maybe you needed some time to digest it, uh, you know, listen to it when you had an extended car ride or bus ride or working out, and, you know, if you do that, which I tend to do, but that's just me, um... So this is uh, episode 71, which is the second part, the conclusion, if you will, of uh, myself and Nathan's, uh, basically like our examination of the the state of superhero television uh, as of this uh, current season. Uh, We'll definitely be doing more of that stuff too with uh, later podcasts, definitely for you know, uh, mid-season, maybe, uh, season finales will be handled, handled in a different way, just because, you know, it does take so long to get through them, and we can't help ourselves, we'll just start talking as if, you know, no one else is listening, which, you know, could be true, self-fulfilling prophecy, (laughs) but, uh, no, it's always fun, uh, going over this stuff, and there's plenty of, uh, superhero television to talk about, uh, specifically in this episode, we cover uh, the Marvel shows, which are Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, was it Peggy Carter, uh, Agent Carter, uh, also Daredevil, and uh, then we kind of went off the MCU and into Gotham, because Gotham is in and of itself a wild card entity, which, yeah, you'll you'll hear about it in the episode. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you got some enjoyment out of the Berlanti universe, which I'm probably sure is not really just him, but, you know, there's Mark Guggenheim and Andrew Kreisberg and whatnot. A little bit of Jeff Johns. But regardless, hopefully you had some fun with that one. Hopefully you got some entertainment out of it, and uh, you've come back for the (laughs) next three hours. I think it's a little bit less than that, but whatever. Uh, So sit back and enjoy another extended episode of uh, That Girl with the Curls, episode 71, the MCU, and whatnot. Gotham and Marvel's Agent of Shield and Marvel's Agent Carter and Daredevil. Um, have you been watching any of Preacher? I have not. Okay, because I figure maybe I mean they're only three episodes in, but it's I think it might be you know just kind of like a little bonus worth mentioning kind of thing. But I can just say something about it, don't matter. <laughs> 
But uh, do you need to get a drink or anything, or are you good? I have my drink right next to me. Excellent. Well done, well done. <laughs> Dinnering podcaster at works. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you don't understand, back in my day, we had to have a drink next to us. Because it was rude otherwise, but it was the style at the time. My computer's cup holder. <laughs> Your computer has a cup holder? No, it's the joke that the CD. Oh. <laughs> Good one. I haven't, God, I haven't used my CD drive in forever at this point. It's all USB, and they're actually giving us new computers at work that won't have uh, an internal uh, drive built in to to read CDs or um, floppies anymore. Ah. So we're going to have to get, like, external hard drives where, but my job and my boss's requires that we need to read discs every once, you know, a lot, actually. So. Right, yeah, because you're looking at archival-type stuff that might have been stored on a floppy disk. Oh, yeah. Well, thankfully, not as many floppies anymore, but, yeah, it's mostly CDs and DVDs now that oh, okay. we'll eventually have to transfer. But, yeah, when, when my boss is telling me this, I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> like, why can't they just keep it built in? Yeah, that mine, mine at least, thankfully, does have a, a DVD-ROM drive, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I haven't had a computer with a floppy drive in forever. Yeah, there's, uh, every once in a while, I'm at, like, Target or something like that, they have these, um, what, it's, like, multi-media, uh, I don't know, it looks like an old-timey radio, but it can also do, like, a USB port, CDs, uh, discs, and, uh, um, what is it, uh, vinyl, actually. Uh-huh. Which I'm like, yeah! <laughs> in fact, I bought them for my in-law. I bought one for my in-laws uh, for their anniversary. Nice. It's so like you can get all the comforts of all types of media. Mm-hmm. It's like, but we have wax cylinders. Damn it! <laughs> oh. like, I still do have records, so I just thought that thing was so neat. I was like, I have no use for it because I don't have any more. My wife threw out all my tapes. Oh no! Uh, we didn't have anything left to play it mm-hmm. to play them. <laughs> it was like, because even our cars have CD. You know, <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I got a new car, um, you know, now it's the CD drive, and my wife was like, you just carry around those tapes, and they're worthless. So. <laughs> it's like, they're not worthless, the memories are still good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, but yeah, we had no purpose for that thing, but I loved the wood grain finish and everything, so mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, this is so awesome, and then she was like, well, my parents still have records and stuff, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna buy this for them then, because I just love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and you just drive over, everyone, she's like, hey, mom and dad, just... Moseyed on over, thought I'd check out the media system over here. It's beautiful wood varnish. And <laughs> they're like, are you okay? Like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good. I, I like the retro look with the high tech on the inside that can play all the things. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's very much like a steampunk thing almost, like yes. kind of philosophically wise. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. I mean, we could. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> We could veer off. You just mentioned steampunk, so we can just go off on a tangent. Oh, man. If we were going to talk steampunk, we'd have to have uh, my friend Tiffany here because she is much more versed in that world than I am. I mean, I admire it, but I I don't know enough about it. (laughs) But Tiffany, oh, man, she will talk your ear off about that. Uh, But, yes, we are here to talk about more superhero TV shows, as is the custom. Uh, the previous episode obviously was, uh, the Berlanti universe of shows, which I don't know if you've had any, you know, with the time we've had to, you know, 
think about and everything, was there anything, Nathan, that you thought we didn't cover that you wanted to, like, touch on before we got into the remainder shows? Oh, you mean the other three hours of material I wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we covered them pretty well. <laughs> I think we did, too. I think we, <laughs> I think we got to just about every issue we might have with the uh, Berlanti universe. <laughs> so I hope you're listening, Greg Berlanti, because we made some notes. <laughs> We're going to type them up. I mean, I guess there's some news that's been coming out about season five being, you know, uh, um, inspired by various things and whatnot, but I mean, not enough, I think, really to talk about. I would love that if that was exactly how they worded it. Like, it's been inspired by various things and whatnot. uh, They said Game of Thrones, and I forget what the other thing, I was trying to remember what the specific things were, but they said the season five of Arrow is going to be inspired by Game of Thrones and something Didn't we already go through that with Ra's al Ghul, kind of, you know, (laughs) at least with the magic man and the assassins and whatnot? (laughs) Like, what more could you, is there a dragon that's going to show up (laughs) and try to take over Star City? I think they're just trying to throw names out there. Well, this is popular. I'm surprised they're not like, oh yeah, next season of Arrow is inspired by The Walking Dead. Oh my god. <laughs> That's really popular right now. It's like, uh, it's inspired by Breaking Bad. Turns out Ollie has a really wicked meth addict. And, <laughs> well, you know how Speedy used to be what she was a, no, not she, but Speedy in the comics was a heroin junkie. So, hey, why not? Bring Roy back? Because I, I heard Roy was coming back. Yes, yes, that is uh, what I understand is that he is coming back. So that's um, it makes me wonder if uh, Thea is going to be long for this world. Yes. Well, you, know, you know what Arrow needs is another guy. Who's <laughs> <laughs> just getting too just female heavy. <laughs> no. Bitter? Me? Of course not. I totally see the reason for killing off a female character and then bringing in a whole bunch of more guys into it because it's a CW show. <laughs> anyway. Uh... I was going to say, maybe Arrow is going to be inspired by Prison Break and it'd be the excuse to bring Wentworth, Wentworth Miller and Dominic Purcell into Arrow. <laughs> so they can't come over as, as Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Captain Cold and, uh, and Heatwave. <laughs> Oh! It'll be prison break with Captain Cold and Heatwave. There we go. That, that, that could work. It, it'll be kind of like a Kevin Smith universe type thing where the actors who have played multiple roles are all still playing those roles but are completely different people. Right. It'll be such, you know, like way less confusing, I'm sure. Because <laughs> we already don't know what the hell's happening anyway. So. Right. I still like the Breaking Bad idea. They're <laughs> just cooking meth. In the Arrow Cave. <laughs> they could have at least said the West Wing. That would have made more sense, because at least Ollie, you know, being in politics. Oh, that's true. But I'm <laughs> I'm sure he'll find some way to screw it up, so. Oh, I, I think the other thing I should probably mention of news coming out is that I think Berlanti was listening to us somehow, even though the podcast hasn't gone out yet, because mm. Superman is going to be in season two of Supergirl. Yeah, exactly. It's like, finally, they're going to show his stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just said he was going to be in it. They never said they would show his face. It might just be boot shots the whole time. Uh, <laughs> and the voice like Charlie Brown's parents. Oh my god. Stomach, you only see the legs. Clark! Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yes, I know. Like, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, the Fortress of Solitude is locked. Ugh. God, back off. <laughs> I saw. Oh my god! Right, I saw someone was was speculating like, what if they brought Tom Welling back? Like, 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I... Because I... they at least honor the previous, like, actors and actresses who portrayed the, um, uh, uh, these various hero- heroes. I don't know if they're going to still stick with uh, Linda Carter being the president of the United States, but I hope they do. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was a really cool idea. Although I question her one decision to... Um, <laughs> And like put Jean back in charge of the DEO. <laughs> well, 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 seeing as how he can now surgically alter everybody's mind, maybe he's already had like a little FaceTime with the president. Then, like, perhaps you don't need to see my identification. No, <laughs> these are not the droids you're looking for. I wish they would do something like that with him, but it's not a Disney-owned company, so probably can't. Uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's interesting that, yeah, they're going to finally show Superman's face, or hopefully, not as just, his, <laughs> not just his boots. Did you ever see Home Improvement? Yes, when, uh, Wilson. Wilson, yeah. It's going to be like that with Superman. Oh my god. <laughs> you never see his face. Always <laughs> obscure. They're just going to, like, do a step up every time, so we only saw, like, really boots and, like, blurriness. This time it'll be like, oh, we kind of see his eyes. And, you know, maybe a side view or something. And then season three, like, maybe his nose. Like, maybe. It might be too much. <laughs> he shows a little more skin every time. You know, that wouldn't work in any of the Berlanti shows except Supergirl, but I think that they could actually do that in that show and it would just fit in. It's probably true. He's, like, trying to communicate with her on, like, the, uh, one of those, like, view screens that keeps, like, flashing in and out or whatever. <laughs> Like Kara, <laughs> but no, because uh, they haven't announced any like actual actors yet, so it's because it's fairly fresh news. But uh, yeah, they had also. I think they're also going to be bringing uh, Maggie Sawyer into it as well. Oh yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, there was a casting. I don't know if it was a casting call or just the sheets at this point. Uh, but yeah, one of them was like, Maggie, a lesbian cop, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's just like, well, yeah, it's Maggie Sawyer. If it isn't, then that would just be weird. <laughs> like, does that mean Kate's coming? Is Kate Kane? <laughs> Maybe, ooh, ooh, Renee. Can they just, can they just like have a different version of Renee, one that doesn't suck? Um, <laughs> Maybe. Oh my God, it'd be so nice. Cause she ain't yeah. on Gotham anymore, is she? No. Okay. No, they, they've forgotten about that whole subplot i'm sure um, <laughs> but uh they're they're also introducing uh lex luther's sister oh that's right yeah uh, lena we'll see all the all the sisters of well-known characters in the dc <laughs> universe it's like let's throw in lucy and lena a lot of l's right <laughs> when well, is- i love that like Clark's childhood sweetheart was Lana Lang. Right. You know, and there's Lois Lane. It's mm-hmm. like, really, guys? You couldn't get away from the LL thing? And then Lex Luthor is his villain? Yep. <laughs> Has there ever been, like, a, a, a thing where someone wrote Clark a note and just signed it LL, and he's just sitting there going, uh... And it's like, somewhat overtly romantic, but not quite that you could completely say it's Lois or Lana, so it's like, maybe Lex? Like, <laughs> like, that would just be... Oh, God, I'm sure there's fanfic for this. I'm sure. I mean, he's like, I get it, creators of Superman, you really liked alliteration, but Jesus. Yeah, at least with Marvel and Stan Lee, he would pick two different letters to do the alliteration with, it wasn't always the same one. That's right. <laughs> oh, well, 
at, at, at least it's it's nice to know that they're you know thinking ahead a little bit and there's going to be some interesting people which at the same time could be why we're losing cat as well so we'll see if they can fill it all in uh she's got some like uh she's got some pointy shoes to fill so it's uh might be rough um but okay so berlanti universe we're gonna shake that off for, for the rest of the the year until they come back uh which will we'll probably be coming back for the mid seasons again <laughs> at some point if not here then on a 42 cast yeah uh but we are going to talk uh, about uh what did i say uh gotham the marvel shows uh, agents of shield and agent carter which sadly has has been canceled. Um, and uh, Daredevil season two with a possible look at Preacher for like a brief couple of minutes. <laughs> so, uh, Nathan, where do you feel like we should start? Uh, I think Gotham's probably a good place to start. All right, Gotham, a show that I no, no longer watch, <laughs> <laughs> but I am aware of certain things. One, BD Wong makes an amazing looking Hugo Strange. Yes. <laughs> Like, I mean, I'm all for other, you know, actors of different ethnicities playing these characters, but I'm not even kidding. When I saw B.D. Wong playing Doctor Strange, it was like, it still felt like they had, like, plucked him out of the comic book for me, because it was just like, he's so perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, I've never seen Hugo Strange in the comics, but I've seen that Batman the Animated Series episode with him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally, yeah, I mean, he looks exactly like that character it's all about the beard like yeah. <laughs> that beard and, and i mean bd wong has gotten a bit chunkier a little, a little bit too so probably helps a little bit um but yeah it, beard. his performance though is exceptional and is it, it is one of the sad things because i feel like gotham really turned around this season and i feel bad for people like yourself and others who like were subjected to season one <laughs> and quite understandably <laughs> Your pity for me is felt and noted. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think that because of that, it's been such a bad taste in, in a lot of people's mouths that they won't give it a try, even though I think it has completely reinvented itself into something way better. Um, okay, and explain yourself then. <laughs> okay, um, so basically I think what happened is in between season one and season two, the Gotham writers, uh, the, the Gotham writers saw the uh, the Flash mm-hmm. and how popular the Flash was, mm-hmm. and it seems like they just decided, you know, this whole gritty crime drama thing we were trying to do is not working. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it, it's it's no good. <laughs> you know that whole thing with Batman. Let's just not even. <laughs> Well, not quite, but I mean, what they're doing now is they're embracing. I'm this season to me feels like more of the Burton aesthetic. Mm. It's dark, but with weird humor interspersed within it mm. that works. Is Danny Elfman doing the soundtrack? No, Danny Elfman isn't doing the soundtrack. Damn you it. know what I mean? That sort of Burton aesthetic. Yes. That, you know, it's it's like it shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. With juxtaposing the extreme darkness with the the humor, mm-hmm. but it does. Okay. And, um, and, I, and I really think that's where they went for their inspiration because they're they're going much more for uh, you know the 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 comic book sort of fantastic elements. We got Mister Freeze, full on frozen guy whose body temperature can't go be above you know uh, freezing or he dies kind of thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so they're not they're no longer trying to keep it grounded. So he doesn't have, like, his wife Nora or anything? He's just 
flat, cold villain, or does he actually have like a, a an enriching backstory that we can all grasp onto, onto and be like, oh yes, I relate to this character. <laughs> well, I used Mister Freeze as the example because he's an example of them doing the you know sort of more comic booky sci-fi type elements. But oh, okay. I will say his storyline. I was pleased with it in the beginning, and then it is one of the elements that I felt didn't work, because <laughs> what happened is, so it started out where his wife was sick, okay, you know, and he's trying to figure out a way to cryogenically freeze her mm-hmm. and be able to then revive her, because, you know, I mean, when you freeze somebody, you know, they're dead. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell that to Walt Disney. So what he was doing was he was kidnapping, like, all these people off the streets and stuff, and, like, freezing them, and then thawing them out again with different, like, he would inject them full of, like, chemicals before he would do it, mm-hmm. to, you know, because he was trying to find a way of doing this in a way where the person could be revived. Okay. And so that's how he kind of ran afoul with the law. People noticed what he was doing, and, um... Once she found out what he was doing, because she found, finds out about this mm-hmm. death, and she, she basically commits suicide. She Because he finally finds the formula that works, but he's on the run from the cops at this point. But he gets he gets her somewhere, he's going to inject her, and he's going to put her in, you know, she's going to freeze her. And he's like, after that, I'm going to, you know, turn myself in. You know, uh, I don't care what happens to me after that. But then, you know, when a cure is found, they, you know, they can thaw you out and, and you know, heal you. Mm-hmm. She, because she can't stand the fact that he's done all, you know, killed all these people for her. Yeah. Um, she switches the chemical with one of the ones that didn't work. Oh. And she basically gets smashed to pieces. Oh. <laughs> They went full-on shattered. Yeah, she's full-on shattered. So to me, that doesn't work for Mr. Freeze, because Mr. Freeze, to me, has to have that hope Mm -hmm. of getting his wife back, which makes him the tragic figure. Yeah. And in this version, he doesn't have that. Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that even, like, looking back on season one, and then from what I knew of season two as well, like, that seems to be what is Gotham's biggest problem, is sticking the landing on stories and and also making the characters i guess um i i I don't want to say necessarily relatable but at the very least giving them some aspect of humanity (laughs) that that makes you want to keep seeing them over and over again um because if you know the that was the thing about mr freeze and like the animated series they completely redid his backstory and they made it better because yeah he uh, he was cryogenically frozen trying to save his wife and everything, and now he's kind of stuck in this state where he can't feel anything, but he also is still, like, so, you know, myopically focused on on saving her, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's something you can go like, oh my god, it's it's a comic book and a television show, but I still feel things for it. Yeah, that's that. That to me is the best episode of Batman the Animated Series. Oh Heart yeah! Everyone go out and watch Heart of Ice and cry. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Dini was on Fat Man on Batman. I think it was one of like the first first few episodes, uh, which is Kevin Smith's uh, podcast, and they just both start crying. <laughs> and it's it's really hard. Like I have a hard time listening to people like start doing that because then it's just like, oh shit, it's emotional and. I- <laughs> I'm gonna f- keep this veneer of non-emotion. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. yeah. It's it's a powerful it's a powerful episode of a show. Yeah. I mean, for a for a cartoon to have done that yeah. is it says a lot. For a, for a children's cartoon at the time it was on. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, damn, man, those are some deep feelings. <laughs> but uh but Mr. Freeze doesn't get that level of emotional depth here. No, he doesn't. And basically, I mean they don't use him much after that, but he basically becomes a flunky for Hugo Strange and mm. I really didn't like that. I also didn't like how, because, you know, they're trying to make these characters look less polished because the idea is still that they will progress into something like they do in the comics. But the problem is the costume they gave Mr. Freeze is open on the head. Okay? They didn't want to give him, like, the dome head. Yeah. The dome head. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I get it. If you keep somebody's core cold, you know, their head isn't going to get so warm that it would be like, you know, there's a huge temperature difference. But mm-hmm. still, it's like, you're leaking cold, like, all out the top there. You've exposed his head. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing. His suit's supposed to be, like, bulletproof and stuff. So, of course you know. it is. <laughs> but it's like... And then there's a scene where, like, uh, Gordon is shooting at him, and it's just blanking off the armor, and I'm just like, shoot for the head, you idiot! It's completely exposed! <laughs> like, they teach you to do that, I'm sure, in the military, or even when you're going through the police academy. I'm sure they tell you, if it's open, you can shoot there. Right. Like a five year old would know to do that at this point, which is kind of sad. Um, but how how has uh, how has Gordon fared in the third season? They've tried to fix him as much as they can. Okay, well that doesn't say much. <laughs> well, here's the weird thing that they've done. All right, so the first half of the season, they wanted to have Gordon try to skirt sort of towards the dark side, mm-hmm. and. But the problem was, I think they let him get too far. Yeah. At the end, he cold-blooded murders the villain of the first half of the season, Theo Gallivan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and Penguin takes credit for it. So, I mean, as far as, you know, uh, Gordon being accused in the eyes of the public, mm-hmm. it's not there. But it's like, but you know he's that you know, you as the viewer know that he's done it. Yeah. Which doesn't help. <laughs> right, exactly. Now, eventually, because uh, Riddler finally goes through his thing of going full-on villain, mm-hmm. um, and he basically pins the blame for Gordon on that death on Gordon, which is funny because he actually did do it. Mm. <laughs> but uh, and, and he does have to go through prison and almost gets killed, and there's a lot that happens there where they try to give him some form of absolution, I think, through that. Okay. And since that whole storyline's been over and they find out that, you know, Riddler did this and that he actually murdered the, the woman that he was in love with in the first season and everything, it's all come out. Oh, they finally the figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, they finally figured it all out. You know, um, I feel like Gordon has been, you know, they've kind of moved Gordon back towards what he should have always been. Um... He hasn't rejoined the police force, though. That's the weird thing, because, of course, they took away his badge when he was in prison. Well, of course. But, um... um, uh, Is he going to become, like, a private detective? Well, yeah, they never really get... Because so much was going on, there was never a moment where it was like... I mean, the the, the new captain gave... You know, offered him his badge back. um, I forget his name, but it's played by uh, Michael Chiklis. Oh, okay. And uh, he's not important other than the fact that he's Michael Chiklis. Well, (laughs) I I doubt there's any other situation where Michael Chiklis playing anyone else would matter. (laughs) (laughs) But um, but he offered to give him 
his badge back, and he was like, well, I need to find uh, Lee because, uh, you know, uh, Leslie Tompkins, she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then supposedly while he was in prison, she lost the baby. No. But that's those, like, third-hand story kind of things, and she he can't find her anymore. He doesn't know what happened to her. Like, he told her to, like, when he went to prison, she was like, no, we're going to stay together. We're going to fight this thing. You know, your baby needs to know its father. And he's like, no. He's like, have nothing to do with me. Like, treat me like I'm dead. Mm. You know, like, because I, I don't want you to be involved. You know, people are implicating me in murders and stuff, and I don't want it to happen to you. And it's one of those kinds of things where, and so it's like, she's just, like, gone now. Which, you know, the real-life reason is because uh, the, the actress, uh, whose name for some reason is Marina Baccarin. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one from Firefly, as I know her. Yeah. But, uh, Inara. <laughs> it's Inara. But... <laughs> Uh, not to be confused with Jewel State, so, yes. No. I'm, you may know her also as Vanessa from Deadpool. <laughs> but, um, yeah, she, uh, so, so she, of course, she's, she, she actually had real maternity leave, I yeah. think, I'm guessing is the reason why, because she was pregnant. She um, was for real so, life pregnant. So, <laughs> yeah. So she's been gone from, like, the last third of the season, and, mm. um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, then Gordon was going to help Bruce figure out who murdered his parents, which they're finally making traction on that, which again is one of the improvements in the show, mm-hmm. is it turns out that it was Hugo Strange worked for Wayne Enterprises. Okay. And, but it turns out that he's actually working for the Court of Owls. Oh, they're... <laughs> and when Thomas Wayne got too close to what they were doing... Strange had him kill. He hired the guy. Like they met, they found the guy who actually did the deed. So it's not Joe Till. No. Oh well. Uh, I forget what this guy's name was, but it was something. Um, oh, I remember. It was Matches Malone. Oh my! Really, Matches? Yeah. Well, I mean, because okay, never mind. Because that's the animated series, so it doesn't matter why. Why? <laughs> that was but, that was um, only Bruce Wayne's like you know go to persona. So. Right. I, I remember that. But yeah, here he's a separate guy. He was an assassin, um, you know, for hire kind of thing. And um, they kind of hint that there's more to his story, but they didn't really, they basically said, well, he hasn't, you know, hasn't done a job in so long. And so it seemed weird that he killed the Waynes, but he basically shot himself when Bruce goes to confront him. Oh, okay. So nobody knows what happened like with him just the fact that he was the murderer strange was the one they eventually found out who paid him mm-hmm. and you know strange is actually working for the court of owls okay so it goes all the way they're they're trying to incorporate like everything from the comics that they possibly can including scott uh, scott snyder's court of owls storyline <laughs> right. so so what strange is trying to do is he's trying to figure out how to bring people back from the dead as and one does <laughs> that's why Arkham was so important. Because you remember that was the thing in season one. They kept on talking about how important it was of who controls Arkham and who controls that plot of land and what's going on with it and whatever. Well, underneath Arkham is the secret lab. Or, or okay, I was, gonna, I was almost going to say, like, is it a secret Indian burial ground? Is that why they wanted it? It's, it's called Indian Hill. But, yeah, yeah. there's, like, the, like underneath or, uh, Arkham, there's a way to this to un- to this underground Indian Hill bunker. Mm. And um, that's where Strange is performing his experiments, which 
most of the people, like, he's able to bring some people back to life, but they're altered. Like, they don't have memories of who they are, and some of them have, like, strange abilities. Like, they, they have, like, a proto-clayface kind of guy whose mm-hmm. face can be shifted around to match other faces. Um, but his first success was Fish Mooney. Oh. back completely as herself with all her memories intact, and... She has the power, and she now has a power too, which they did. He, they, they, they talked about how he was mixing in like different animal elements and whatever into his formula to see if that might help to stabilize it. And, is she an um, actual fish? No, well, he said it was a cuttlefish, is what he used in her formula. But no, what she can do now is she has like a tactile mental control power. Like if she touches you, mm-hmm. she can command you to do something and you'll do it. Oh, does she have to constantly be touching you, or was is no, like one touch and done? The, yeah, you'll, you'll follow the command that she gave you while she was touching you. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, um, so, so, yeah. I mean, so that's getting more interesting. Bruce has actually improved tremendously. I hated having Bruce on the show at all in the first season. Mm-hmm. He just sat around a lot talking about how it was, you know, awful that his parents died, and he never <laughs> really got much done, and only like endangered the people he cared about. And I was like. Just have him move to Europe or something and learn some skills and come back after he's trained with Zatara Zatara and everyone else he needs to train with. Yeah. (laughs) Have him meet the cool Japanese guy and, you know, just all the... Well, and and here's the thing, too. Like, if you wanted to keep him in Gotham, I mean, there are plenty of street-level heroes he probably could be training under at this point. Like, I mean, this goes back to our discussion of Arrow, but, you know, Ted Grant, you know... (laughs) He's he's a boxer. I will always bring it back to Ted Grant. I will find a way to get Wildcat into this universe. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying he is one of many teachers that Bruce had in his lifetime because the kid who plays Bruce now, what he's God, how old is he now? He's what? 15, 16? Is he that old? I, I thought he was more like 14. Well, either way, he's growing up pretty damn fast, and, I mean, even looking at, like, still photos of him, it's like, okay, the kid that started in the first year, you know, much smaller than the kid who I'm seeing right now, and it gets to a point where it's like, so when does Bruce leave to go train? Because that's kind of a integral part of his story, <laughs> like, but apparently Gotham has no interest in that at this point. Yeah, um, he, uh... You know, he spent some time on the streets with Selena. Well, you know, that'll that'll take care of that. <laughs> right. No, but I'm just saying, I mean, they're trying to at least find ways to develop him mm-hmm. more and um, he's taken a more he took a more proactive search for his parents and was actually, you know, getting stuff done this season. And by partnering with um, Jim, mm-hmm. you know, and having Jim with him it wasn't the whole, like, I'm just going to, like, you know, blunder into things, you know, by myself. <laughs> no, this time he's dragging Jim in with him, <laughs> blundering into other things. <laughs> you know, let me tell you the real tragedy of this season, though, is okay. that um, Bullock has been sidelined Aww. so much because he is so wonderful, but now that they're going away from more of the, you know, the, the police procedural type show like it was in the first season, mm-hmm. it's, begin, it's becoming more of this, you know, kind of thing there's there's less room for Bullock that's unfortunate because Donald Logue is just he's the best <laughs> I know I love him 
Mm -hmm. I I think he's great. And towards the end, they were giving him more, so I'm hoping that's, you know, them trying to show that, hey, don't go anywhere because we got plans for you. Like, he's acting captain now because the captain was uh, almost uh, murdered by Asriel. Uh, Oh, that's right. I I heard about the Order of St. Dumas. (laughs) Which is uh, another one of the strangest experiments. Um, He brought back Galavan, who was the villain the first half of the season, but he was uh, insane and didn't remember who he was, so he... um, He's now Asriel? Yeah, he's now yeah because he basically took the story of Azrael from the Order of uh, Saint Dumas, which was you know who he was raised by, mm-hmm. and convinced him that's who he was. You know, because he has like people; these people have flashes of memory that he brings back, but they don't like completely remember who they are and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he he killed uh, or almost. I thought he was dead. Uh, Michael Chiklis scared, but then they showed him in the hospital in the last episode. So he's he's comatose. Well, maybe in the first episode they'll come in and they'll just kill him off. And they're like, well, let's be done with it. And then Bullock is, like, really trying to, like, run the precinct as the captain, and he's failing miserably, because what does he know about leading people? He needs someone like Jim Gordon on his side. I'll tell you what, though. They, they, have, they have really improved uh, the Penguin. Really? They went through a whole story arc where Strange to, you know, show the good work he was doing at Arkham reformed the Penguin mm-hmm. through, like, these horrific, like, looking, like, experiments on him where, like, he was, you know, electrocuting him while also giving him, like, audio and visual stimuli and, you know, uh, uh, you know, this whole thing of, like, he basically, um, you know, brainwashed him. So he went full clockwork orange on him? Right, yeah, where he was just, like, completely, like, unable to, like, hurt anybody, mm-hmm. and was, like, you know, this very timid, mild-mannered guy. Well, then Paul Rubin shows up <laughs> at the grave of his mother. Of Penguin's mother? Of Penguin's mother. Okay. You know, a Penguin's paying his respects. Because mm-hmm. he can't find a place to go, because nobody wants him around. Because mm-hmm. either people believe that he's, like, really the Penguin, he's just faking it. Or, you know, they're, they're former criminals who, who can't, you know, who see him as he is now and want nothing to do with him because he's not, you know, in any way helpful to them. Yeah. And um, so he goes to visit his mother's grave and Paul Rubens is there and he explains to him that, you know, uh, you know he had loved his mother. Uh, he comes from a wealthy family. His parents would have let their, you know, relationship continue and had made her go away and they would never tell him where they had sent, like, he paid her to leave. Mm-hmm. And he had never been able to find her, and he had, you know, only found her, you know, after she was dead. And uh, and so then Penguin realizes it's his father. Ah, which and is a which nice callback so, to the 89 movie. No, right, or, which is the, yeah. call, well, to Batman Returns. Yeah, Batman Returns. Yeah. I forget what year and, that was. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so he takes him in. Hmm. Well, he has this other thing, you know, because he's since married. Mm-hmm. And so he has a wife and two stepchildren. Okay. Well, they see... Uh, Oswald as a threat because you know they're looking to it because he's sick also he's sick he's he's dying it doesn't look like it's anything like it's gonna happen any day now but it's something like you know in a couple of years he'll be dead and they don't want him to inherit he's he's basically dying of convenientitis Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. He said it was like a congenital heart condition or something. Okay, so it could just the, the the old ticker could go off at any minute, basically. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what they try to do is they try to poison Oswald. Mm-hmm. And what happens though is the dad drinks the wine glass instead of Oswald. Oh shit! And he dies. 
And, you know, at first they tell Oswald that he's going to, because he hadn't had the time to change the will. That was the other thing, because he was, he was going to change the will the next day. Mm. He's like, I called the lawyer, the lawyer's going to come tomorrow, make sure to get you in the will, Oswald. Mm. And uh, they overhear this, and that's when they decide, well, we got to poison him now. Of course. <laughs> and they accidentally poison, you know, the dad instead. And so, and so, of course, the will still says they inherit everything. So they're like, well, Oswald, you can just go. And he, and he starts crying and breaking down and being like, you know, please, I have nowhere else to go. And they decide, well, you know, actually, we can get rid of the help. And just make, so it's almost like Cinderella. Yeah. You know, like, we can get rid of the help, and we'll just make him, like, our servant. <laughs> so mild and everything right now. That always works out well. <laughs> well, he eventually ends up, during the course of his, you know, uh, duties, cleaning the kitchen, whatever, he finds the poison. Mm-hmm. And he figures out what was done. Yeah. And he snaps, basically. Mm. <laughs> it's the most horrific scene. So there's a scene where he's, you know, waiting on the mother, mm-hmm. and she's eating, and she's like, you know, where are the kids? And he's like, oh, you know, you'll see them soon, you know, whatever. And so, you know, you're imagining, well, he's already killed the kids. And, <laughs> I already and, think I know, know where this is going. Yeah, um, and, and, and so he's, he's about to kill her, too. But, yeah, anyway, so it turns out he's feeding her her children. So he went all Titus Andronicus on her. <laughs> So he lets her know, you know, before, I mean, he reveals that he knows about the poison and everything, and then she's, like, yelling for the kids, and he is like, oh, you said that you couldn't taste the difference, but I think, and I forget what the girl's name is, I think she's a little more tender than, and he says the boy's name, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Did he then go, ha, 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 made you eat your parents? <laughs> no, 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 but then he, he, then he stabs her. Oh, then he stabs. She's realized the horror of what she's, you know, what's going on, and then he stabs her. Mm. And, um, so, so then, so then, um, you know, once Galavan comes back, because his helmet gets knocked off as Asriel, and he sees that it's Galavan. Galavan's the guy who killed his mother. Mm. And everything like that, he's like, he's gonna go on a warpath. It gives him purpose again. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, <laughs> the most hilarious scene ever. So Galavan's trying to kill Bruce. Yes. And he's going through, you know, the mansion. Alfred's trying to save him, and they, they get outside, but then Galavan's caught up with them. And, you know, he, uh, and then Gordon, I think, shows up and even puts a bullet in him, and he still gets up, and they're like, oh my God, you know, what can we do about this guy? And then all of a sudden, he just explodes. <laughs> and there's Penguin standing there with a freaking bazooka. Of course. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> and it was so funny. I mean, I just laughed so hard because of just the overkill of it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, it like so totally fits in with the aesthetic now on the show. If just, it had been in an umbrella, I think it would have been like ten times better. <laughs> well, true. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But <laughs> one day, I, I, just, I just like how they're going like larger than life now, and mm-hmm. like don't care about you know, grounding it in reality or anything. It's just like, let's just have fun with this thing. Well, I guess so. there's something to say for that at the very least, where it's like they're not so beholden to... Because even Gotham, when it first started, was still trying to play into the uh, the quote-unquote Nolan aesthetic 
to a certain degree. Um, Arrow was obviously the the biggest stand-in for Batman at that point, but I think it's kind of nice when they loosen up and they're just like, hey, none of these things are related anymore, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think everyone thought the Nolan way was the way to go, and again, it's the whole idea of DC, for whatever reason, and all their properties think, well, if something works, that's what all our properties have to be like. (laughs) Don't you think that our characters are different enough that their aesthetics like, no, no, they're all Batman now. (laughs) Every single one. Wonder Bat. Super Bat. Um, (laughs) Bat Lantern. (laughs) Uh, But, um, but yeah, I mean, so, so, and, and they've, they got rid of Barbara mostly, <laughs> which helped also. Oh, poor Barbara! They, they've still kept her around, but she was in a coma for most of the season, so that was good. Mm-hmm. She did wake up towards the end of the season, though, and has kind of been a sideline. She was important because when um, Strange uh, captured Gordon and sent his proto Clayface back um, in his place, mm. she was the one because she happened to be at the police precinct. I forget why, but he was there, and she knew, because he was acting funny anyway. It was like, I was like, really, Harvey? You know, uh, you, you can't tell that this isn't Jim. Yeah. He was, he was you know, because he didn't act at all like Jim. He was, he looked like it and sounded like him, but it was like the things he would say and stuff. It's like, you know, he's checking out all the women and everything, and mm-hmm. it's like, that's not how Jim acts. Complete right? opposite of Gordon's behavior, yet everyone else except one person notices. Like... <laughs> and anyway, she slaps him because he makes, like, because after she's realized it's not him, he's, like, trying to, you know, uh, put the moves on her. And mm. So she slaps him and his face actually, like, smushes. <laughs> and so that's when they all realize that something's up. So. And they're like, his face! It's, it's made of some sort of malleable substance clay perhaps no no two on the nose <laughs> you put it like that it just sounds absurd yeah i mean once you say it out loud it's just stupid <laughs> it's like maybe more like plaster plaster face that's what we'll call you plaster face <laughs> i make myself happy <laughs> They've, they've introduced Firefly as uh, a woman. Hadn't they already done that? Well, they, oh, they did. Okay, so we did talk about that. Then. Okay. Yeah, they, they introduced her, uh, and uh, but then she got really badly burned. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? The one that plays with fire got really badly burned? <laughs> yeah, um, but Strange, like, helped her with that, too. So, But he, he convinced her that she was, like, a goddess of fire or something, and so, Interesting. you know, she... She thinks she's like a gold now. She's <laughs> so basically, what we're we're getting into a situation where Hugo Strange is is crafting the the kind of cornier versions of the villains into like starting down the line towards who they'll be. Like, not that Firefly was you know uh, under the impression that you know when it was a, when it was a man that he was a god or anything, but at the very least, he had more of. Um, I always thought like Anarchy and Firefly would have made a good duo at times because they seem to be going for a lot of the same stuff. (laughs) So he's kind of like, at least in, in the way that Gotham is setting this all up, like it's almost, it's pretty much Hugo Strange's uh, machinations that are pushing these other villains towards like closer to what we kind of imagine them to be. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's what they're using as kind of the impetus for a lot of the guys. But but the ending, like uh, how how the season ends, is that basically, <laughs> he's gonna blow up Arkham to destroy the evidence. <laughs> like you there's do. A bomb, there's you know, always a bomb. <laughs> right, and so he's gonna blow up because that's what they told him to do. They told the uh, the court of owls told him to take the research. Uh, that he used with Fish when he finally had his one success, like true success with Fish, mm-hmm. and to to blow up because the police were investigating and everything else. Well, through all the chaos and confusion and craziness, like all the inmates were uh, supposed to be like shipped to another facility mm-hmm. um, where they could be studied, like all the ones that had been experiments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, they end up getting out, <laughs> and yeah. so now all these crazies and people with powers have gotten up. Oh, Killer Croc, even though they never mentioned him by name, but that's the only guy he could be. We've seen Killer Croc. Really? So he's one of the experiments. Um, and he yeah, he, he, he's out. Um, did they, did they ever introduce Langstrom, like uh, Mambat at all? They have not yet. Okay. That would be cool. But, uh, but yeah, so so yeah, it's Firefly, Mr. Uh, Mr. Freeze, uh, Killer Croc, like Fish's back. You know, there was quite a few who were like shrouded. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like you know in, in character. They, they, there was a whole bus full of these guys. So there's a whole bunch bus. more they haven't decided who they want to use yet. Mm-hmm. And so they've just given us. There's an undisclosed number, but probably in the set, you know, like the three dozen. Yeah, <laughs> at least. It's like um, at least with the thirteen ghosts of Scooby Doo, they laid it out for you. You know, <laughs> thirteen ghosts done. <laughs> but the weird one was when they all get out of the bus, and you don't like I said, you only see a few of them distinctly. One of the ones who gets out looks exactly like Bruce Wayne. It's the same actor, mm-hmm. but with super long hair. Is that supposed to be like Tommy? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I, no, that's that's been the speculation all over the internet. Is who is that? Is that a clone? Did he, is there they saying he had a twin brother? Uh, you know what? What are they trying to say with that? Or, well, did, did Strange make somebody else look like Bruce Wayne. You know what's yeah? Because Strange was uh, Strange was kind of like a pivotal character in um, was it Grant Morrison's. Uh, oh god, I uh, rip uh, R.I.P. Batman, which focused on, like, Strange trying to, like, convince Bruce that Strange was his, like, half-brother or oh, something god. like that. It's It's been a while, and it's also Grant Morrison, so it's always a little bit weird. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he always goes for that, like, everything that has happened will happen again, that whole time is a flat circle thing. Uh, he's very big on that, so, like, themes and symbols and icons will show up repeatedly, and and he was trying to do that same thing with the Batman mythos, and the problem is when you've got 75 years of mythos, it's a little, like, you can't have everything. You can't include, you know, the Batman of Zeranthar or something like that, and I might be saying that wrong, Zeranthar. Zerinthas or ah whatever never mind. Well, let me tell you the trope that like just drives me crazy because people are applying it to like every character now mm-hmm. is the whole trope that you know the mantle is like a, a quasi spiritual thing that has always existed. Oh, you know? that Spider Man so, thing that they did. Yeah, but that's just not that's not only Spider Man. There are so many characters where they do that. Where mm-hmm. like you know it's like oh well, there's always been a character like this throughout time. <laughs> it's like I hope they ever do that with that. <laughs> well, they did that in the comics. That's what Grant Morrison did at one point. Because Bruce went Not on just a... just Elseworlds. <laughs> no, it wasn't just in Elseworlds, because at one point Bruce was, like, sent back in time by Darkseid. Don't ask. It's not important. Um, 
<laughs> but he like jumps into different time periods, but there's always the the idea of the bat as like this thing, this like icon, this ica- iconography that has been there, especially in Gotham, like forever's and ever's. Um, so <laughs> he's like there in caveman days, and he's wearing a like a big giant bat like you know, skull thingy or whatever. <laughs> he headbutts Blackbeard at one point too. Um, yeah, the first time I encountered that trope, it was cool. Now it's being used on everybody, and I just hate it. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so yeah, we don't know who that is, but uh, uh, you know, I mean, it could be that because Bruce was poking around, they tried to create like you know some sort of version of Bruce that you know they could they could kill Bruce and substitute him or whatever, mm. but whether he's a clone or what he is, nobody knows. I always like how accelerated cloning seems to be the answer to a lot of things. It's like, your clone wouldn't turn out like that! Like, you'd have to actually right. raise it as a real person. Right, <laughs> right, because, yeah, your genetics is not the only thing that determines your eventual, you know, appearance. And mm-hmm. There's also how do you educate your super-fast clone. Yeah, it's like, maybe also. he's Bizarro Batman. Ooh. <laughs> He just has really long hair and he broods all the time. It's like, how is that the opposite? Shut up! It's it's totally the opposite. Like, he's got long hair. It actually uh. reminded me more of the man in the Iron Mask, but mm. <laughs> but again, that'd be like, what did Bruce have like a twin brother that he was separated from at birth and he was hidden away? So I mean, that doesn't <laughs> too crazy for Boy Town. Too much of a boy for Crazy Town. <laughs> Yeah, like when they, yeah, I mean, I guess it'll be interesting to see what they come up with when you eventually tell me what happens. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll sit here in judgment, as is my right. (laughs) Look, you should watch it just to watch BD Wong. (sighs) Can I just find a compilation on YouTube or something? Sure. Someone make those up. Like, they should be there by now. I can probably watch those. (laughs) Any excuse to watch BD Wong, I mean, whatever. <laughs> or that I could just watch a lot of Law & Order SVU. <laughs> there, there is no scenery left unchewed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that actually makes me really happy. <laughs> there, he is just grazing every scene. <laughs> he's just grazing. He's a cow. Just <laughs> got the, He's just chewing away. Chewing away. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Look at all that cud right there. <laughs> He's going to make some fine milk, that one. <laughs> Wait, it's a boy, right? Ooh. <laughs> Got weird. Didn't it, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, is there is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of Gotham before we move on to uh, the Marvel universe? Oh, I think, I think for having a mostly one-sided conversation about Gotham, that's probably as good as it's... I'm sure we can bring stuff up in later podcasts, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just is, is Alfred still as kick-ass as he was before? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, Alfred, but Alfred started out good, so I didn't need to talk True. about a progression for Alfred, yeah. but yeah, Alfred is, uh, Sean Alfred is amazing. Best father ever. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's not actually his, his dad, but man, it's like, if you wanted a dad, you want him to be like Alfred. <laughs> Like, I want my uh, my father to be like Alfred. British and a butler. <laughs> yeah, but there are many butlers like Alfred. It's true. <laughs> also want him to be special forces. And MIA. 
<laughs> MI6 or whatever. MI6, yeah. yeah. MI, MI8 would be like, I can't find him. <laughs> like, oh no, where'd he go? <laughs> it's too many acronyms, man. Uh, okay, so good. At, at the very least, Alfred is still kick-ass. All right, so let's move into the Marvel Universe, and we should start with the agents of blah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Well, because we have Agent Carter, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., at the very least, I understand what's happening, what's going on. I've seen a few things, like, you know, what what happened with Daisy um, and, and Ward, or Hive, mostly Ward, dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think... Even though they're saying that because of what happened, Brent Dalton is out of the show, I have this weird suspicion they're going to bring him back for season four. They always find a way to use him again. I mean, that that's the thing. I think we talked about this before, that Brent Dalton, had like they obviously love the actor. They love him so much that they've been trying to keep a hold of him, even when it seemed like there was no reason to anymore. Uh, so it would be kind of weird if they didn't try to find another way to bring him back. Oh, I, I, I feel like they already laid the seeds, and let me explain it to you. Ah, uh, yes, do. <laughs> In the last episode, mm. the final scene jumps for, I forget how many months, but it's so many months later. Mm-hmm. And, um... One of the things that we see is the scientist that had been earlier in the season and who Hive had kidnapped to help him make more humans. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sitting in his lab and he's talking about this old shield program that he found that he's uh, that he's uh, bringing back, and the uh, name of the program was LMD. Oh. Which, for, which for people who know Marvel know that's for life model decoy, which are basically androids that are so good that they can fool most methods of detecting. They, they basically seem like human beings. Mm-hmm. Well, like Nick so, Fury had like a whole like closet full of them. Right, exactly. So anytime you see Fury die, it's really an LMD. Yeah, and, I mean, that, but that was always like the go-to in the comics, wasn't it? That it would be like, oh no, Fury died. Oh, turns like turns out it was a life model decoy. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> that was like their standard go-to. Like, oh no, we didn't really kill him. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh-huh. So yeah, I have this weird feeling that Ward will come back as an LMD. Now, why someone would fashion an LMD in Ward's likeness, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but then it gets into like, I mean, this actually could be interesting because if they they fashion one out of Ward, but which version of Ward? Like, do you do you try to go for the like, oh, he thinks he's still like old, you know, mostly goody two shoes Ward or something like that, and then you like get into this whole like. You know what? What is it that makes us human, Nathan? What is well, it? You know, that's what I was hoping they were doing in season one with Coulson. Mm. You know, before we found out it was an alien blood transfusion, all that weird stuff. Yeah, them trying to scoop guardians on the Kree before the guardians showed the Kree and everything else. <laughs> they, they. Um, I, I was thinking Coulson. Like, oh, Coulson died in the Avengers, but yeah. I'm like, maybe there's an LMD, and that's who this is. He thinks he's Coulson. I was like, yeah, that'll that'll open up that whole idea of you know he's uh, an android, but he has all of Coulson's memories, and is he real? You know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, he's an android with a soul. I'm like, Whedon likes this kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, 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 a vampire, but with a soul. Uh, right. Shh. Not a vampire. Yeah, yeah. It's like substituted one word. Joss, you already did that. It was called Angel. Like, no, 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 no. Android with a soul. Right, and so that's how I thought that where they thought where I thought they were going with season one, mm-hmm. and they 
didn't go that route. But yeah, I I think that they could very easily bring Ward back and just be like, fooled you, everyone. You know, we just really cut him loose. <laughs> you think we would let this guy go? Hell no. <laughs> well, then, okay, so then I have a question. So Patton Oswalt's character, was yeah. he is he actually just two twin, like twin brothers or something like that? They've always left that as a joke and are never going to explain it, I don't think. But there's at least eight of them. So it does seem odd if they're, you know... <laughs> if they're just discovering the whole, you know, life model decoy and that they have this guy who's got like eight versions of himself out there. Right, I mean, it's weird either way because there's no such thing as like identical octuplets. Yet. But at the same time... <laughs> it's like, you just have to let science do its thing. Well, that's true, and then S.H.I.E.L.D. does have access to all kinds of crazy stuff, so maybe he was something. Or, or we let nature find a way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's making me think of Jurassic World. Don't. Don't do that. He's not even in that piece of shit. I know. I know, but I just... Don't you dare sully Jeff Goldblum's name by associating it. From Jurassic Park, I go to Jurassic World now. Boo. I would <laughs> at least... disappointment. <laughs> I would at least take Lost World over that one. <laughs> I actually like Lost World as much as it gets a bad rap. Well, I, know it's, I still find it fun. Yeah, the, like, the third one was a steaming pile. Of, oh, yeah. But... <laughs> it was like, Sam Neill, what the hell were you thinking? I mean, this is the one you choose to do? <laughs> It's like, it makes Goldblum look, look like he had integrity. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> and that reminds me of that painting with Goldblum. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, uh, identical octuplets, you're saying? <laughs> yes, identical octuplets. Or they are LMDs that somehow nobody realized they're... Because that's the thing people have speculated. Are they robots or whatever? And they always just look at each other and laugh. And mm-hmm. don't, like, really... Like, they at times they've hinted that they're a robot. Like, oh, I've got to go, like, recharge myself. And, like, they're like, what? And he's like, I'm going to go get some sleep. <laughs> you know? Like, no, it's like... <laughs> and then he winks again. They're just like, I can't deal with this guy. <laughs> exactly. So... So yeah, they, they, they haven't explained And he hasn't shown, I don't think he showed up at all in season three. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They were dealing with a lot of other stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, um, so, so yeah, I mean, Hive's been the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Hive and the, and the Inhumans have been, like, are, are they more integrated into the storylines, or do they, you still feel like they're trying to figure out what they're doing with them? Well, no, they've definitely integrated them uh, in, because Hive uh, is basically one of the first Inhumans that were created by the crew, that was created by the Kree, that's Mm -hmm. their explanation for it, but it's basically like a a Gestalt entity, where basically Hive is comprised of a bunch of microbes Mm -hmm. that are all interlinked, which is how it can possess other bodies. Okay. And so it possesses dead human bodies, they have to be freshly dead, because it, it won't They never said if it can't or just won't do that to other Inhumans, but um, it can inhabit uh, human bodies, and by absorbing other human bodies, it can, like, heal the host body. 
which right. is how like when it took over Ward, like Ward looked like he was like from The Walking Dead. I mean, he was gray, like he could see the broken bones, like under the emaciated skin and everything <laughs> else. It was like, and he he had them bring him some people that he just like you know basically devoured, even though he did not through his mouth. It just you know he absorbs them basically. Oh, he did like and, Damien Dark's like uh, death touch kind of thing. It wasn't the death touch. It was more like. Uh, did you watch Angel? Yes, I did. It was more like Jasmine from Angel. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just thinking, Whedon, you're just like redoing all your same tropes. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> At the very least, you can say that it's probably his brother and his sister-in-law who are doing that more than it's Joss. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still. <laughs> a Whedon is a Whedon. But, um, and then he was, like, he looked perfectly fine after he did that. He, like, healed him back up. And, um, uh, and so what, and the thing he can do with Inhumans, though, is he can put some of his microbes inside of them, and that, like, links them to him. Okay. And they become, like, they, I mean, the, how they explained it is they said that they constantly release endorphins when the Inhuman is around him, so they just see him as being, like, this wonderful person. Ooh. And are predisposed to do anything that he wants them to do. So, also like Jasmine. Right. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, he gets Daisy. Mm. Um, which was one of the better episodes, because it was the surprise reveal at the end, as we go back to when they infiltrated the base, and they show... Because S.H.I.E.L.D. had gotten three other Inhuman agents, basically, over the course of the season, and so all of them entered, and there were pieces places where they cut away you know, from one to the other, mm-hmm. and one of the things was who, you find out that one of them is infected, okay. at least, because they also capture um, Powers Booth's character, who's now his name on the show escapes me, but either way, <laughs> they, they capture him, and he says, like, a hive's gonna have me killed, because he can't, you know, afford for me to talk, so one of your inhumans has been turned. Mm-hmm. And so they make them all kind of act suspicious in different ways, but it turns out at the end, it's, it's Daisy, who but she's convinced them that it was Lincoln. Okay. So everyone thinks it was Lincoln. They lock Lincoln up, but Daisy's the one that's been infected. Mm. And um, and then she gets away. She runs back to Hive, and um, there's this whole weird, like, sort of pseudo sexual. But he ne- they never actually show them. Mm-hmm. You know, in anything like that, but there's like this weird way that like he's always touching her, and like Brett Dalton is just turning on like the skeezy <laughs> ick factor where it's like it's Ward, but at the same time he's now this monster, and it's mm-hmm. like a different kind of monster, I guess I should say, because Ward was always a monster. Yeah, <laughs> but... he, he might have been able to have been saved one time, but no longer. <laughs> I mean, you're thinking at any point this could turn into a weird hentai because you know, they showed you like he can morph into like his true form quote unquote and it's all like tentacles on the head and everything but uh, I, I had heard something that they were intending that to like be the full time look but it was maybe like too expensive to do or something like that yeah I, I don't know about that but yeah they, they showed it like twice I think okay and um but yeah and it's like I kept on thinking they were gonna like show them in bed together or no. something I'm like <laughs> so Ward just needed to get a little bit of himself in her. <laughs> Isn't that then kind of like narcissism? Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit. I mean, actually, not even a little bit. So it's like a whole lot. Um, but uh, so I I was reading a couple of things online actually not long after the the season finales came out, 
And one of them was talking about how Hive's uh, method of control is similar to, like, drug addiction. Yeah, and so that's the thing. It was, like, an endorphin release, and so, yeah, they'll... Yeah, so are you going to get to, like, when Daisy was had the things removed? Yeah, because they, they, te- they technically cure her, right? Right. Uh, like Fitz and Simmons do. And, and then it, there's... Because I know in the, in the finale, like, she's ready to sacrifice herself to, to blow him up, basically. But before that, she tries to give herself to him, like, to, to go back into the, you know, the embrace of the drug, you know, that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, no, I thought that was really well done, too, because... Um... Because, yeah, the the one thing I didn't like about this season is they almost made it humans, like, quasi-mystical. Mm. Because one of the things that Lincoln says, because he had been studying, like, the actual inhuman lore before their whole, like, place was destroyed and everything, was that all inhuman powers are there for a reason. Oh. And, like, somehow there's some, like, sort of, like, some way the quasi-mystical genetics of it all knows that you are the person who needs this power because there's a reason for you to have it. And so one of the things that they had introduced earlier in the season is that May's ex-husband becomes an inhuman. Mm-hmm. And he becomes this thing called Lash that just hunts other inhumans. Yeah. Well, once they started harping on this whole idea that Inhumans become what they are for a reason, I was like, oh my god, his... Because they, they said it like three or four times, and after the, like the fourth time Lincoln says it, I realized what the, what the, you know, what they'd been hitting at the whole time. Lash became, or he became Lash and was hunting other Inhumans because, Hi, like somehow the mystical genetics of the Inhumans knew Hive was coming. He was depriving him of his army. Oh... So, um... Tricky. And then then they do, they they do the whole sequence where um, Daisy thinks that she's getting Lincoln out, like, she's trying to convince Lincoln to come to them so that Hive can infect them. She's like, look, I can hack into your cell, and she's talking to him through a thing, like, that nobody knows because, you know, she can control the monitor, and she's like, I'm gonna get you out, you just come here, come be with me, and you'll see once you're here that it's all for the greater good. But it turned out to be a double bluff where Lincoln was working with Coulson, and really when the plane lands, they have Lash in a cage inside the plane, and the plane was automated, and it just opens up and Lash gets out. Oh. And Lash is like killing uh, uh, Hive's followers, and then it gets to Hive, and it's like he tries to infect him, and it doesn't work. And you know, it's showing that like like Hive or like Lash can actually like release like this electrical stuff that actually like hurts mm. Hive. Because that was the other problem is like because he's comprised of a bunch of like microorganisms, it's like bullets and stuff. Like it doesn't do anything to him. You know, he can't be harmed, and. Mm. Um, but then, and then he goes to, like, while Hive is disoriented, he goes to Daisy and actually, like, purges the stuff from her. He purges her, her microbes, or...? Yeah, her microbes. Oh, okay. And and she gets away. Now, the, the stupid thing here is that, okay, so Lash has been shown to be this almost unstoppable killing machine. Mm-hmm. The only reason they even had him caged up was because it was while he, uh, he transformed back into... May's ex-husband. So can he do that willingly, or does it, is it like no, a Jekyll least, and Hyde? Was, oh, sorry. It's, no, I'm sorry, is it more like, like a Jekyll and Hyde scenario, where it happens when he gets like emotionally, like, worked up or something? Well, they said it was because, like, his genes were in flux, and they basically said, like, the last time that he transformed, he was now permanently Hive. Or, I mean, Lash. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, and so, um, but yeah, it was like that, uh, that last time he was a human, they got him locked up. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And so they've shown him to be this unstoppable killing machine. It was kind of cheap because, like, he's getting Daisy back on the plane, and you're like, oh, then he's going to turn around and get Hive. And then one of Hive's followers, who is basically, like, Gambit, <laughs> that's the that's the even though they're calling him an inhuman it's like well he's not Cajun or anything but basically that's the same power he grabs inanimate objects and charges them and they explode mm. he charges a chain and is able to like whip it at lash and it goes through him and he dies <laughs> and I'm like you've shown this guy take electrical blasts with just shrug them off you've shown him take everything like that every possible power or whatever like Daisy shot him with her quake powers like full on and it didn't hurt Lash I'm like and this guy who's basically like a, a poor man's gambit let's <laughs> kill him outright yeah no I, I hate when they do stuff like that where it's just kind of like look at this big badass motherfucker here like he can take whatever and then suddenly it's like really he went out like that you know they didn't want him to take care of her because if he hadn't died he would have taken care of hive right there and then because there was just nothing nothing that hive could do to him Mm -hmm. but at the same time it's like had they really like built up the uh, the the character who killed him like had they done anything in terms of like you knew kind of like, his power set and how strong he was or anything? No. No. Well, see, there you go. Poor man's gambit. Poor man's gambit. It's <laughs> all you need. <laughs> like, so, so the reason that I'm explaining that is to explain how Daisy gets the stuff out of her is because, uh, yeah, then uh, she wants Hive to reinfect her, but, like, whatever that energy is that Lash used on her, like, it, like, shields her. Oh, okay. And so it's like Hive tries to, and his microbes just like you can see, like the shield sort of like halo around her head, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I can't." <laughs> and she's like, "What?" But yeah, I mean, I kind of like that though because of the whole idea of you know of addiction and the fact that a junkie you know is gonna take that opportunity to go back mm-hmm. to you know the the source of their addiction to get that high again. So I mean, it totally made sense. You know, I I was like, "Oh God, no!" Because I thought she was gonna get infected again. But, you know, at the same time, it was kind of like, I, I, I see that, and that, and I like them use, I like them making a real choice. Yeah. Like, something that you can understand for the character. Well, I, th- um, I think that's always the thing that, you know, certain comic, uh, comics or comic book-oriented things will, will kind of push themselves into this weird corner where, or not a weird corner, but it's a corner wherein they're like, we need to, we want this character to do something awful, but we also need you to still like them. And so we take that choice out of their hands by making it a mind control story or, you know, whatever thing. Um, because once they do that, then they're like, well, we can have them do whatever we want because then they'll turn around, they'll, they'll turn back, and, and then it's all, you know, all good to go, you know. Which is, it's, yeah, one, of those near, it's one of those tropes I don't care for. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it got... It was kind of hard to watch at some points because, like, she brutally savaged, um, uh... Was it Mac? Mac, thank you. Mm-hmm. My brain, I, I'm feeling like Fitz right now. Um, <laughs> I thought he was, like, mostly cured of that, wasn't he? <laughs> well, yeah, that was the thing. It, like, just sort of miraculously when the season starts, it's like, suddenly Fitz can talk fine. He, he got better. Yeah, brain damage just goes away if you just give it time. I guess know? so. The love of a good woman. <laughs> That's that's right. But yeah, so like Daisy brutally savages Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And but again, it's like she was control. It, it that would have been a lot more interesting um, if if it had been more of a you know like hey, humans are looked down upon. You know, I'm I'm following Hive because I want to rather than. He can just make every inhuman follow him, but yeah. it was hard to watch because she like she like she, she beat Mac so bad. Like, <laughs> and Ma- Mac like, isn't a guy who goes down easy, <laughs> right? No, I know, and that was it because I mean it was a combination of her using martial arts and then just like using her powers on him, mm-hmm. like just like shattering bones and crap. It was because he wouldn't leave. She was like leave, and he wouldn't. Yeah, and he was like you need to come back, and she just because Mac was the one who kept you know, doing the thing, you know, in a way I liked it though, because it was like Matt kept on being the one who was saying what the audience says of, well, when push comes to shove, Daisy's going to be able to resist it. Mm-hmm. You know, she, he's like, I know her, she's a good person, whatever's affecting her, she'll, she'll, you know, she won't be able to bring herself to hurt us. Yeah, it's that whole, uh, it's it's that other aspect of the storytelling where they think that if someone that they love or they're close to just starts, like, saying certain things to them, they'll somehow rise above what right. whatever's controlling them. <laughs> right, and I did like the fact they showed that, nope, hives, mind control, but nope. Yeah, it's <laughs> just like... That is just not happening right now. Because <laughs> she almost, I mean, she, with another second and she would have killed Mac. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I forget who shows up. Somebody shows up and gets her off of him, but um, she was about to kill him. I so. want to assume it's May. It's probably always May. <laughs> it wasn't May, actually. Oh. In this case. She, was, she was across from the other thing that was going on where a bunch of Cree showed up. Oh, of course. A whole other. <laughs> you, brought a, you brought the Cree to an inhuman fight? Ugh. <laughs> Bad but, form. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the other thing that happened, the other big thing is that Fitz and Simmons officially got together, finally. Yay! Um, are we, are, is everyone happy with that? Well, to the excitement of, of fanboys and fangirls everywhere, I'm sure, but I... I don't know, maybe, maybe I just come from, like, the wrong time period or something, but it just seems to me, like, several shows have done this lately, of doing, like, the mega happy ending, like, before the show is over, mm-hmm. and it's like, and I just, it feels weird to me, because I'm like, well, where do you go from here, unless you want to do the whole, we're gonna break up, like, Felicity and Oliver mm. for no reason sometime next season or at least no plaz- <laughs> at least for no reason that makes any like actual <laughs> damn sense <laughs> right. and so that's why i thought for sure one of them was going to be the one that died mm-hmm. uh because i was like okay they're getting them together just so that when one of them dies <laughs> it will hit the other one so much stronger also a whedon thing right <laughs> and uh and yeah, it didn't happen. It was it was it was so bizarre to me. And they're you know happy when they jump forward a few months. They're talking about celebrating their you know an anniversary or something. And mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's I don't know. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> like so, do you think do you think that with the next season they're going to pick up from there, or are they going to kind of backtrack to get you to that point? They... I think they're going to pick up from there. Because okay. um, how the season ends is. Lincoln is the one who sacrifices his life, which is BS on so many levels. That's what I've been hearing is a lot of people were like, they made they made us think that someone we cared about was going to die. <laughs> and it turned out to be this motherfucker. <laughs> First of all, they kept saying it was going to be fa- a fallen agent. Mm. Well, Lincoln was never an agent. He, they, he, 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 in fact, was the one, like, he was only around because Daisy liked him. Oh. Um, 
he was training as an agent, and uh, Coulson kept saying that because he was too hot-headed, he wasn't going to be an agent. Coulson does finally, at the finale, offer him to become an agent, and he says, no, I'm not going to take it. So I'm like, so he was never an agent. He turned it down. Agent by proxy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so first of all, that was a lie. Mm-hmm. Second of all, nobody cared. <laughs> Which in one level is great, you come off the guy you didn't care about, but on the other level, it's like you've been building this up, mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like, like Lincoln's the one that, that oh, okay, unless they talk about Ward as the fallen agent, but he was the fallen agent a long time ago. Okay? <laughs> He's like the Lucifer of fallen agents at this point. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, there's that whole thing, but then that sets off Daisy, because he takes her place, like we already talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- blows herself up and he takes her place he blows himself up uh with a hive and so when they jump forward in time the one the one we learned that um colson is on mac are on a stakeout to find her Mm. there's all these newspaper clippings that they've got of quake uh, which is her name from the comics, yeah. which is her superhero name, who has been robbing banks and doing all this crazy stuff. She visits the family of this inhuman. They're, they're doing like a, you know, one of those like kind of clandestine spy meets mm-hmm. in, uh, in the park where this, there was this inhuman character she meets early in the series, uh, season where if he touches someone, he can see... Um, uh, a death that like that will affect them in their future doesn't necessarily mean their death but a death of someone mm. and he saw Lincoln's death when he touched her but they weren't sure who it was because they only shot saw the inside of the of the plane mm-hmm. um, and they saw the shield uniform and it blows and the person he touches sees it too mm-hmm. and so that's how Daisy knew one of the shield agents was gonna die but she didn't know who gotcha. and um, but he ends up dying helping her. Lincoln or the the, the, the the guy who can see the future okay. I forget his name because um, she was uh, she was about to be killed and he touched the guy that was going to kill her and that guy saw his own death oh. and that freaked him out and so he didn't kill Daisy <laughs> 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 and, uh, and but then he kills the the guy who can see the future and so Daisy had promised him as he was dying that she would take care of his family mm. and you find out that at least some of that bank robbing money she's giving to the family. Okay. And, you you know... Um, so she's kind of going and, back to her sky days in a little bit, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah kind of like that. But then it's like uh, Coulson and Mac, they, they try to get her, but then she, like, uses her quake powers to actually fly. In effect, fly. She points her hands at the ground and uses that as the thrust to get up onto a roof. Wow. <laughs> and gets away. And uh, Coulson says something like, the director's not going to like that. So you know that he's not the director anymore. What? What I'm thinking is going to be Talbot. Mm-hmm. Because the the last couple of episodes, Talbot, they finally brought Talbot in completely. They showed him their base. Um, they explained to him that they really need the co-op, you know, his cooperation, explained to him everything that was going on. And they're like, we need the kind of clearance that you have to, to allow us to do, you know, what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And so they've, they've, you know, and so if they're trying to re-legitimize S.H.I.E.L.D., that makes sense that somebody like Talbot would be the one who would become director, you know, who's active military and everything else. Talbot's so. uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian Pazdar, right? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. And uh, so, 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 yeah, he's not the director. Colson's not the director anymore. Sky's gone, or Daisy's gone off on some crazy, you know, thing 
with Lincoln dead, and we don't know quite what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, uh... What about May? What's been... They didn't show May in the jump forward. Uh-oh. Some people have speculated she might be the director, and I, I don't think that's it. I think if Coulson's not the director anymore, that it's going to be Talbot, and it's part of re-legitimizing S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, I don't think May I don't think May would ever take that position in the first place. Like, she'd hate that. Right, yeah, <laughs> she, she doesn't want that. Yeah. And um, they did try to tie in with Civil War a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um... Did it work? And, in fact, that's the way reason why Talbot was there originally, was to talk to them about the Accords. Mm. So they've kind of expanded on it a little bit, because the movie made it, um, you know, made it clear that it was just about the Avengers. Yeah. Whereas S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to turn it more into the Superhero Registration Act. Gotcha. Because, you know, in S.H.I.E.L.D., they've just revealed that there are all these humans with powers, which the movies don't want to acknowledge, but it's like, <laughs> there's all these people who are suddenly discovering they have powers when they eat the wrong stuff that's been infected, you know, with the with the Terrigen Crystals. Yeah. And, um, so, so what Talbot was telling them is, like, everyone who, who has powers needs to get on a list, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they need to find out who they are, you know, what kind of power they have and everything else. And so they, they made that as part of the Accords. Um, so... Oh, so it was a thing they just didn't talk about in the movie, but was actually, like, part of the, the actual law. Which I think if you squint, you can, you can make that work. No, I mean, and and that's the thing is like I, it's kind of disappointing, you know, when you when you hear what Chloe Bennett talking about the fact that, you know, Marvel doesn't really seem to care about how much Agents of Shield factors in because they obviously won't put them into the movies at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree because it's like Marvel has the potential to have this fully integrated universe, and mm-hmm. it's almost like they're, I mean, it is like they're squandering it. Yeah. Um, by by not letting letting the TV show use elements from the movies, but not letting the movies use elements from the TV show when it works as well. Exactly. Um, you know, and so so I mean, in some ways, I understand then why DC likes to stand alone, but then they shouldn't get into this war of well, if I'm using this character, you can't use this character. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you're going to have standalone universes, then let everyone share character. I mean, because it's like your version of that character is not the same as my that you know our version of that character. Yeah. So like it, it's in in one case it's like Marvel going like well no one cares about that because obviously people aren't watching this television show you know week after week or whatever and that's a huge like audience of people um, that we could potentially take advantage of when we take you know go to the movies and everything and then DC is all like yeah we just don't want you to play with the same toys like <laughs> it just those things boggle my mind like how what the decision making process is because it's like. I, I understand that your studios like money. I, I get that that's a thing that they're into. And yet you were trying to not make it? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, to me, this changes everything about Civil War. Because mm-hmm. my problem with Civil War as they made it is that Iron Man is completely right. Mm. Whereas I feel like if you add the element of people's uh, you know, uh, civil liberties are being violated, then it switches to Cap. Yeah. Because... Basically, Cap's whole point of view in Civil War is, I'm going to do what I want when I want. And it's like, that's no basis for anything. We don't just let people just wander into countries because they feel that they have the moral right to do so. I feel that that's a bit simplistic interpretation of what Cap is talking about, but okay. (laughs) That's what it boils down to. Whereas Tony's just like, well, I'm just going to put people in prison whenever I want because they're a danger, quote unquote, to everyone and themselves. 
because that's not an issue that could be taken advantage of. Oh, wait, well, they did it in the movie. <laughs> well, they, they, well, I always thought it. I felt like they left it fairly nebulous as to the prison, that that was more of um, Ross's doing. Because all that Tony wanted was for everybody to just sign a little piece of paper and let the UN tell them what to do. And then he uh, kept Wanda captive on the Avengers compound. That was not captive. That was the thing. It's like he. Okay, explain he to me how that isn't it was captivity. Just <laughs> it was just okay. <laughs> it was just for a few days. Well, you are not helping this. <laughs> this is in no way helping your argument. <laughs> Everyone blew that way out of proportion. Yeah, it's it totally got blown out of proportion when he made the vision a uh, really like freaking you know uh you know what was I going not it bleh. Yeah, when he put the vision in charge of uh, keeping her in the Avengers compound for her own good. <laughs> we don't know maybe there was a lynch mob outside. <laughs> yeah, on like a twenty acre compound there would be a lynch mob just waiting outside oh, the gate. I mean outside of the compound. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one for a bit. <laughs> that'll be a, that'll be an episode for another day. <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely feel like it tinges those accord because I mean, like I say, I mean, at least in my mind, having an international oversight committee for the Avengers makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, when you're talking about like people who may just want to privately, you know, who have no intention of using any powers, you know, <laughs> and don't even want the powers, and you just make them like because that list will get out. Well, of course, if, if we've watched any James Bond movie. <laughs> Right, I mean, someone will want to exploit those powers and everything else, and it's like, that's that's a bit different. That's that's keeping, like, lists of people who, you know, don't necessarily want to be, you know, well, kept track of like that and didn't do anything wrong. This is the so, one thing that I always, that always bugs me about spy movies, is that it's inevitably a list of agents, you know? Like, it's just Mission Impossible, Bond, I'm sure there's been a couple of other ones or whatever, but it just always seems like it's a list of people, and we gotta get it back. It's like, why did you make the list? Like, if for a secret agent, you're not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> that's true. Uh, anyway, that's not important right now. Right. <laughs> it will be when the light, when the names get out, but... So I, I don't know exactly where they're... I, I, I always felt like S.H.I.E.L.D. should be, if they're going to go this route with Civil War, that I was hoping it would be part of the movie that S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be brought back. It would have made more sense. Right, because that would be like the enforcement arm of the Accords. But when they made the Accords just about the Avengers in the movie, it was like, well, you don't really need a whole organization when you're like talking about, you know, like 10 people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when you bring in the idea that humans and there's lots of people with powers, then it's like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, having S.H.I.E.L.D. around and being the the group. And then I thought it would be played into the whole idea that there were two shields in season two. Mm-hmm. And you might even have the fracture there of some people and doing the civil war within shield of having like Colson, of course would be on cap side. Yeah. And have like half the agent side with him and then have this whole separate group that goes with the Tony side and becomes like the legitimate quote unquote version of shield. Oh, you know, may would be on Tony's side. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think she would. Yeah, actually. no, it, um, it would make perfect sense, like May versus Coulson on that. Yeah, and um, I, I, they could still do that in 
season four. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just it just sucks that they're not allowed to weave it into the movies better, and that the movies aren't allowed to. Because it will always seem weird then, like uh, if they reference anything about the Accords in either the Spider-Man movie or Black Panther or anything. Yeah. If they don't mention the fact that oh yeah, Shield's been re-legitimized, re- you know. Or, they could or yeah they that. they could have at least made some kind of mention about like rebuilding Shield or something that made it sound like you know and at least have Cap react to it since he was the one that kind of brought it down. <laughs> so like it, it at least would kind of lay those seeds there for you know mentions in other movies or at least small tie-ins to let you know that you know hey this universe is still mostly connected. I mean kind of. You squint um because even if they want the whole death of colson to never be undone for the avengers characters mm-hmm. that's fine you don't have to have colson in an episode you can just we're in a movie mm-hmm. you can just you you can just say that she's been re-legitimized yeah. and you know not really you know just maybe show some random agents when you need a scene like that of agents capturing somebody or whatever it doesn't need to be colson Although how it would have been interesting, though, if Coulson had shown up and then it becomes another issue between Cap and Tony about how the creation of the Avengers is built on a lie. Yeah, well, no, I mean, believe me, I would like for it, but it's just that the filmmakers have said before that they want Coulson's death to stay. Which doesn't make any sense when you think about it after a certain amount of time. It's like... If if he's what what advantage does it give you for him to stay dead anymore? Like the Avengers were working together like way way long after he died and everything. So it's like you know maybe you bring him in and be like, hey, guess what? He's totally okay. My whole problem with the shield is gone thing is, and this is part of my problem with Age of Ultron, the fact that even though Whedon had creative control of all those Phase 2 movies, Mm -hmm. that he didn't integrate things better, is Whedon clearly didn't want S.H.I.E.L.D. to be gone. Has Fury just show up with the helicarrier? Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, well, where is that now? (laughs) Well, and and I I very much feel like, too, like, it it feels like more in the case of Age, Age of Ultron that even though he had access, he was also severely limited. Uh, by a few, by a lot of things too, because he still was in charge of setting up a lot of things that he yeah. just didn't have time for. And it's not like an excuse. I'm not saying that you know he could have done a better job. He certainly could have. Um, but it it started to feel like like maybe Marvel Studios was kind of cracking down too. And even though this was the story he had pitched initially, like for them to not really let him have that kind of freedom is still weird. issues about like well shield's not truly gone anyway in the eyes of the movie i mean because they know that at least some of that infrastructure is still around well i mean does it makes maybe some sense that you know fury would know of a stray helicarrier somewhere <laughs> like, right, no, but, but he just flies off into the sunset with it so it's like he's got a bunch of agents on that thing that thing's not manning itself <laughs> i would love it if he pulls like a incredible hulk or he's just going from town to town <laughs> Yeah, you know, real subtle, like. <laughs> some like podunk town, like the middle of nowhere, just all of a sudden this big shadow comes oh. over it. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> he just like repels down this giant like rope that descends out of it. It's like, where's the trouble? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mommy, there's a one-eyed black man outside wants to help us with our problem. <laughs> it's like, I hear that you're involved in a dispute. I want to weigh in on. <laughs> <laughs> He's gun recruiting. Um, yeah, sure. Well, maybe it'll just be coastal towns, so he can. <laughs> like, 
you can drive the helicarrier up like a boat kind of thing. <laughs> He's just going. We, it's like it's like a town on a river or something. No. This giant helicarrier is taking the entire river oh you know, from shore to shore. He's, He's going up the Mississippi. He's like, I always wanted to do this. <laughs> It's basically just Nick Fury, like, crossing stuff off his bucket list. <laughs> it's like, Director Fury's like, mm, 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 mm. nope, 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 nope. <laughs> it's like, we caught him off the eastern seaboard. <laughs> he was trying to go whaling. We don't even understand what's happening anymore. <laughs> he lost his damn mind. <laughs> oh, I would watch that show. <laughs> I really would. I sincerely whenever, would. Whenever you say like the old, old Incredible Hulk format, I, I'm always all right with that because you know the whole thing of just walking away from a town with that sad piano music you know, <laughs> that just gets me every time. It's like I, I will just watch that show. Like, look, Marvel. Yeah, anyone at Marvel Studios, if you're listening right now, please make an Incredible Hulk type story where Nick Fury <laughs> goes around righting wrongs. Get Samuel L. Jackson, he will do it. He's already shown that he's he's on board to do anything. So <laughs> just pitch it to him. I'm sure it'll happen. He did snakes on a plane because because of the title. <laughs> like that was his whole reason for doing that movie. <laughs> well, you know there's gonna be a snakes on the helicarrier episode. Oh my god, right? <laughs> Some guy just like, lets his boa constrictor loose. <laughs> That'll be like a, a bottle episode when we need to save some money on... Uh, <laughs> just on a, like a random agent like walking down the hall and a boa constrictor just, <laughs> just falls from the ceiling, wraps itself around his neck and pulls him back up. Oh my god. <laughs> Are there any snake-related villains in the Marvel Universe? <laughs> Okay. There's the Serpent Society. Hey, right there. <laughs> okay, we're going to write this up. We're going to pitch this. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> oh, man. That's how the movie business works, guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, how much can those Nick Fury option rights be? I mean, they, they sold them to whoever made that David Hasselhoff movie. Oh, my God, right. Was it Dolph Lundgren, too? <laughs> um, Dolph no, or, no, he did Punisher. Oh, 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 oh yes. Yeah, yes, never mind. Yeah, yeah. That was right. I was trying to remember like how many Nick Fury movies there were, and I think there was only just the Hasselhoff one. Yeah, yeah there's just the Hasselhoff one, yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, before before we move on to Agent Carter, uh, is there anything else you want to uh, kind of talk about that you know either impressed you or bothered you about uh, Agents of Shield in the last in the back half? Uh, no, I mean I think we've I think we've gone as as far as we need to on that one. I'm I'm hopeful that they they'll find a way to to I don't know to expand beyond just the Inhumans because that's that's to me that's the problem right now. It's like well, Marvel uh, films keeps pushing back the Inhumans movie, so let's just make it the show all about humans, which makes Marvel films want to push Inhumans back more because they don't want to acknowledge the TV shows. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where they're going to go from here. I, I liked the third season a lot, and I think that they've got the right elements to play with. I just want to see something. You know, it's great that they have, like, the, 
the randomness of basically like mutants and X-Men, but, mm-hmm. but with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and humans, but it's like, don't make the show only about that. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, there, there's got to be some kind of happy medium between the spy show and the, you know, people with superpowers show. <laughs> so. Right. I, I, yeah, and I think Civil War is really the launching off point. If they use that, there are no, I mean, because it's Guardians of the, it's Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's true. That would intersect with season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's like neither of those really lends itself to a tie. I really hope they don't try to tie in with those because it'll be really forced. Yeah. Um, and, and so with them having a whole season to themselves, I, this is when I would really like to see them just be like, let's do our own world building. We've got the MCU for a year. Yeah. No, that, yeah, it would be nice to see them just kind of like, re, you know, truly branch out on their own since... Obviously, it's not going to make you know affect much in the Marvel you know movies or whatever. So if they could just totally be their own thing for a season and see what that's like, that'd be kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's write that too. <laughs> Along with Nick Fury going on adventures, <laughs> all the adventures. <laughs> oh, I could so write that. Right? No. <laughs> like especially with Samuel L. Jackson's voice in your head. <laughs> It would basically just turn into a Dave Chappelle sketch. <laughs> He's just yelling. That's how I talk! <laughs> anyway, let's move on to Agent Carter. Uh, we didn't talk about this last time because it hadn't the second season hadn't aired when we were talking about the mid-season stuff. But, and I don't think we've ever really talked about the first season, uh, you and I, Nathan. No, we haven't. Um, just quickly, what was your impression of the first season? Like, Did you like it? Not like it? Middle? Somewhere? <laughs> I felt it got off to a slow start. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I feel like that original commercial that had everybody up in arms about sometimes the best job for the best man for a job is a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of influenced a lot of the direction of that season mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't know. I I found it a little. I found it a little messagey. And I'm not a big fan of messagey type things in general. When you hit you over the head with it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, mm-hmm. it felt a bit much. But I felt like towards the second half, you know, mm-hmm. since 10 episodes, uh, the first few episodes I, you know, was struggling with, I didn't know if I wanted to continue. Once they started bringing in Dr. Faustus and the mind control and, you know, sort of getting towards the end game, I felt like the show really picked up a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really on board for it. That final scene with Faustus and Zola. Yeah. In the prison cell, I was like, oh my god, you know, like, I'm so excited for this next season, I can't wait to see what happens, and then they went completely different directions. So. Yeah, as, as they want to do. Nothing to do with what I wanted to say. <laughs> well, if they can't get you on board, Dave. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, a bit differently than you, I I agree that it got off to a slow start, but it was also, I think, an interesting way of approaching a female character, especially in a post-World War II setting, um, because what I, f- what I feel like this, the first season of Agent Carter was very much about was not only Peggy and, um, to some extent, Howard Stark getting over their grief about Cap, because it's, I think it was only two years after the end of the war. So I think they were in about, like, 1947, maybe 48, something like that. Um, so it's not only about her dealing with that grief, but it's uh, it's also about uh, the underestimation of women in that time period, though not in the most overt sense. 
it's um it's much more about uh, i mean we experience it now not we i um is with uh microaggressions you know it's these things it's it's about how they say certain things to her that don't necessarily sound disrespectful to them but to peggy and to any of the other women in that office who are just relegated to the role of secretary um it, it becomes a, a big deal in terms of self-worth and self-esteem and all that kind of stuff so when she finally gets towards the end in those last few episodes where she's finally like confronting all of these men in the office and just being like, I know my value. It's like the reason you underestimated me, underestimated me is because you don't think I'm worth anything, you know, those kinds of things, which was very much um, something women had to deal with uh, and continue to deal with, you know, basically. So I appreciated what they were doing there. I mean, this is kind of the the issue that we're, we're, we're coming across a lot more with shows like uh, Agent Carter as well as Supergirl, where there is a very distinct feminist message, but it's also trying to find that balance between being, you know, a feminist show and not being a preachy feminist show. Um, sometimes it's it's okay. I think it's warranted because, you know, you know, the viewing audience, maybe they need to have their heads smacked a few times with the obvious. Um, but I also think that it was, um, what I have really enjoyed about Agent Carter is the villains that they've been using and their juxtaposition to Peggy. Uh, because in the first season, Dottie is her main, you know, uh, adversary and her whole thing is about, uh, subterfuge. She uses her, uh, femininity and the underestimation that men give women as her advantage the whole time. Um, and it's also just the whole spy thing. Like Peggy goes undercover and is, you know, relying on disguises and all this kind of stuff in the same way that Dottie is. So how she, you know, matches up to the villain is, I feel like the strongest element of the show. Uh, yeah. And I feel like once they started bringing Dottie in that again, that's toward that second half of the season and you know, that's when it really picked up. Yeah. Um, so, and I feel like the show ended on, a, you know, like you said, on that, that note with Zola and Faustus, like, on a, a very strong kind of like, okay, I think we're ready to go here for season two. And, and season two, it wibble wobbled <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. It's, yeah. It was a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Um, <laughs> but I, again, I feel like the villain in Whitney Frost was an interesting juxtaposition yet again to Peggy, even though if in the last episode it went, just kind of went full supervillain, I'm going to destroy the world because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was not happy with that last episode. Yeah, it was kind of like, I feel like there was a better way to wrap that up. <laughs> and when it's just like everybody lets link hands to keep from getting sucked into the... Vortex, thing. yeah. Yeah, Vortex thing, and it was like, but yet nobody was really ever in any kind of, like, peril or danger, and it was like, I felt like that ending needed a death, and we didn't get one. I thought it was going to end up being Jason, um, mm. but, you know. Well, no. I, I mean, that would have been unfortunate, because it's like, it goes back to the always kill the black guy trope. Yeah, so, I think know. they wanted to avoid that one, too. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I felt like with, 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 with the level that they had built everything up and then for everybody to just be like oh we just had to like hold hands and nothing bad happened it's kind of like, eh. <laughs> the power of love saved them <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, yeah i was thinking that actually <laughs> well i mean we didn't avoid a death because jack basically for all intents and purposes got killed at the very end um well except except if there had been a third season you know as well as i do that he wouldn't have been dead possibly have been. we don't know now do we <laughs> 
also, based on the logic of the show, Jack Thompson died in that hotel room. Though we just know he was shot. Yes. And was, no, like, laying out on the floor. Just a random coroner comes in like, oh no, a man, he has died. <laughs> and you can trust me, because I'm a coroner. <laughs> you know what that le- that thing, though, was? The the thing that they were saying, like, proved that, like, Peggy did bad stuff? It was it was her brother. Oh, of course. I mean, the, yeah. the fact is that they redacted everything except for, like, M. Carter, and you know his name is Michael. Right. You know, so it's like, and we know that Peggy didn't do those things, so <laughs> it's like, it's, I mean, it's one of those things that's set up, but you're kind of like, really, guys? Really? They didn't bother to look into Peggy's background that she had a brother? Right, well, that was the thing that I, you know, I, and I was like, the fact that Peggy was just like, well, this was falsified or anything, like, nobody ever brought up, like, oh, yeah, what about Peggy's brother? Mm. You know? Did <laughs> also she... an M name. Yeah. And at first I was like, why would anyone think it was her? But then I re- remember that her name is Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> not Peggy. So, like, that's a nickname, so. Yeah, everyone has to kind of go through, like, why is Peggy a <laughs> nickname from Margaret? Um but yeah, no, I, I feel like in terms of, like, twists that they were going for, that was kind of, like, the the worst-kept secret one that they were going for. Like, it, it almost made, um, not almost, but it actually made Jack Thompson look like more of an idiot, you know? <laughs> you know, here's another thing. Mm. I felt like we were going through the same gyrations with him we had already gone through in the first season. Yeah. And I really wanted to see him progress. I I get where you're going with that, but I feel like it's also, it could have been, I mean, and obviously I don't know what their interpretation was on this, but it felt like with Jack especially, because he's a guy who's very much caught up in the system that perpetuates these ideas about women, you know? As much as he has seen what Peggy is capable of doing, he's still one of those guys who does want that that um, that place of power, you know. And it takes what to the last, what second to last episode before you're like, okay, I think he's on board now, like all the way. Right. I'm fairly certain there's no double crossing. <laughs> all right, so, so so Sam, let let's find out how you feel about the love pentagon that was going on. Oh lord. <laughs> It was so weird because, oh, I, okay, yeah, no, um, it just, it just didn't, oh, because I, that, that I, I didn't mind the, uh, the Will Peggy with Sousa or with Jason part because that was actually kind of interesting in the fact that you have two men who actually do respect her very much and, and blah, 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 blah. I mean, at the very least, with Jason, it would have been um, an interesting commentary on, you know, racial laws in the 40s, you know, that kind of stuff. Except for, like, except for the fact that of, it, there's only that one shopkeeper ever really, like, active. Like, I know. Like, everyone, everyone else was, like, totally accepting and okay with it, and he comments a few times that, you know, about things are bad for a black man or whatever, but it's all external. You don't actually see it except that one scene. No, exactly. It's, it's a very, because uh, this is continuing to be a problem with Marvel, where they are whitewashing, like, their universe to an extent that's really uncomfortable now. <laughs> It's like, it's the 1940s and you're in Los Angeles. Just because you have one black dude there doesn't mean that everything's okay, guys. <laughs> this is post-World War II. We, it, it never really got all that much better. You know, let's let's really be honest here. It's still Although a struggle. Fair, I can see L.A. as being far more progressive than the rest of the country. I don't know the history of it, but I could see that. Yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, I would have to look into it 
I just know if that was true. But Cal- knowing California, mm-hmm. you know that 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 would make sense. It, it would have been interesting if if Jason had been like an actor as well. Like if he was, mm-hmm. you know, instead of taking the whole science thing, like an actor in you know, post-World War II Hollywood and how that was, you know, like, did he have to, like, you know, make himself, like, look like different uh, races in order to pass a certain, like, I don't know, it would have been, I guess, a different version of the commentary on disguising yourself to fit a stereotype of what people think of you in the same way that uh, Whitney Frost was doing. Um, Because I thought that there was that one episode where they were, like, going between Peggy and Whitney's uh, growing up. Uh, which I thought was probably the best episode of that entire series because you really get to see why Whitney is the way she is, like disguising her smarts and, you know, going for a powerful man and actually being more of the decision maker than him, like all that kind of stuff and, and how it perfectly mirrors uh, Peggy's life as well. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I, I felt like Whitney had a lot of potential that went unrealized. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing her as... I, this is one of those cases where I feel like they slapped a name on a character mm-hmm. from the comics, but had absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. Because even though they set her up as being this genius and this powerful woman and everything, basically once she starts getting, you know, the black stuff in her head, it's just <laughs> like, I'm just going to, you know, suck people dry with this stuff. And, you know, it's like, she never, she never came across to me as very cunning, you know, after that. She was, mm-hmm. she was just like, I've got the superpower now and that's how I, you know, assert myself. And I, I, I I would have liked more the Whitney Frost, who is the head of the biggest crime family kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she, I, I don't know. I, I, I just feel like she wasn't all that scary. Well, when yeah, when she took over the Council of Nine, basically, when that happened, I thought that would have that almost would have been interesting if that had been the end of the series. Is like you see her uh, kind of like taking the seat of power in that situation where it is her and then it's just like a, a table full of guys who are, you know, at her beck and call basically because she was cunning enough to put herself in that position, you know, regardless of whether or not she's got some weird vortexy thing, you know, taking over her. Yeah, I, I, I just feel like that whole thing was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I would have preferred a straighter version of this. Create something else is the thing that everybody's scrambling for. Mm-hmm. Don't infect her with that stuff and just make her this really cunning, manipulative woman. And I don't know, I, I just felt there was so much that was just bizarre about this season. Mm-hmm. And it didn't help to me that they seemed to think that, you know, suddenly it's a light comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it just seemed like there was way too much where people weren't taking things seriously. Yeah. And it just, and with the kind of stakes they were playing with, it should have been more. And then, and then bizarrely, after all the flag Age of Ultron took, they decided, what did they decide is like the worst way you could hurt a woman? Oh my God. By making it impossible for to have kids. That, yeah, that was another one where it's, cause it's, cause first of all, Jarvis is an amazing character. I love you know, uh, Edwin Jarvis, and I forget the actor who plays him, but um, he's great. And I actually really enjoyed the actress who plays his wife, Anna. Um, they did a great job, like, introducing her and making her, like, fast friends with Peggy and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, and I wouldn't even mind it if she, you know, I didn't care that she got shot, but yeah, because that's, I mean, that's drama. That's just going to happen, you know? But yeah, when they specifically go out of their way to say, like, oh, she can never have children now, it's like, that was 
pointless. That was unnecessary information to tell us. And that was just a few months after all the flack of Age of Ultron. And again, I'm just like, and I know with a TV schedule, they didn't have those episodes. Age of Ultron was May. Those episodes came out in January or February. Yeah. They didn't have those episodes already written when Age of Ultron came out. So they would have known about the flack that Age of Ultron took for what they did with Black Widow. Mm -hmm. And it's like... How did you think that this would go over well? <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, I don't... I didn't have as many problems with how it was presented in, in Age of Ultron. I thought that... It, I, I, I didn't either, and yeah. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah. But, but it, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't as big of a deal to me because I felt that it was more a part of Natasha's backstory in terms of what they did to girls in that school. Like, uh-huh. the way it's brought up, yeah, it was a little clunky, but, you know, whatever. I, I get where Whedon was going with that. Um, with this, it was just kind of like, what, 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 you're trying to motivate Jarvis to be pissed off at Whitney Frost because, you know, you needed more of a reason instead of that she just shot your wife? Like, it just seemed like it was pointless motivation when he already had plenty, you know? Like, Jarvis, you could have still had all of that happen and not mention the fact that she could, she's barren now. Um, and it still would have been just as effective, like, cause we've, we've gotten to know Anna. We know, you know, what a free spirit she is, how much she loves, you know, Ed, uh, Edwin, how much she cares about like what Peggy's doing, all that kind of stuff. You didn't need an extra oomph, you know, to push him over the edge. I, uh, I brought up the love Pentagon earlier, but oh, yeah. the, the, the thing that bothered me most is that presented with Sousa as a viable uh, you know uh, uh, person for, for this Suitor. but <laughs> yeah and was a viable suitor and yet this is a man that decided to run away on short notice get a fiance in LA as soon as Peggy is back is willing to drop said fiance yeah and then go back to immediately no time passing having a relationship with Peggy mm-hmm. I'm like and Peggy doesn't seem to have a problem with this. It never once brings up. I mean, she she found out that basically, you know, she you know she had called it off with Sousa, and it's like then she's like completely okay with it too. And I'm just like, do you really want somebody who's that who vacillates that much? Yeah, I, he didn't seem to me like he was any because I, I liked Sousa in the first season. Yeah, you know, and I was rooting for Peggy and Sousa, but when he when he was presented that way. Mm-hmm. I was just, because, I mean, first of all, how he was behaving was wrong for his fiance anyway. Oh, of course, yeah. Until she clued in to what was going on. I'm like, a man who wouldn't just be, like, up front like that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't even say a man, a person who Mm -hmm. wouldn't be up front like that. Um, You know, uh, you know, to to their uh, intended spouse, Mm -hmm. you know, is not worth anything, you know. Well, (laughs) because they make make a whole big deal about how he's going to propose to her, you know, because the way they set this up and in terms of like they only had 10 episodes to to tell this story. Um, it takes him forever not only to propose to her, but then it's almost like an episode later and they're suddenly broken up. Right. Because it's, it's like you need to pick a direction, guys. And and we're not even because I think it's presented in in civil no not civil war uh oh what is it a winter soldier because he's you know like they're watching a video of Peggy and she says that you know Cap saved the guy who would become her husband and they deliberately leave out his name so that we don't know I mean I doubt Peggy changed her last name too so that would probably not help either so but yeah we're kind of led to believe that Susan might be that guy 
But with, yeah, the second season, it's kind of like, man, you just, you didn't make him as as good of a guy as, I mean, yeah, he can be flawed and everything, and he still was in the first season, because he still had a similar attitude, you know, to some of the guys there. You know, he... Yeah, and somewhat. He, he was somewhat. definitely more progressively, you know, disposed than they were. He was but... more progressive, but he was also more of a white knight type as well. Yeah. And they made a point of calling that out, too, which I thought was, a, you know, a, you know, very smart of them, because it's like, yeah, guys can, can help, but seeing that they have to is in order to save women, you know, blah, 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 not good. <laughs> so I, I like that they called Suza out on that. Um, but this season it was just kind of like, man, it's like you're just, every decision you're making is the wrong one. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, oh, and then uh, th- that just got me on the side because I thought about the scene of him and Peggy in the van, but then, then the, that episode where... They send Jarvis in with Dottie. Oh my god, right? And it was like, this was the dumbest plan that anyone ever thought of. And the fact that they didn't... I mean, there was no way to control that situation. Yeah. It's like oh, Jarvis is going to keep an eye on her? Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is... You're putting an unstable person into a situation where it's just going to get more chaotic. Like, I mean, and, and they're they're figuring that the anchoring point here is that Dottie is like basically infatuated with Peggy that she would help her out and everything. Right. So I guess you could kind of go with that, but it's just like, yeah, no, Jarvis can't keep keep an eye on this woman. There's just no way. <laughs> oh god, yeah, that was one of those ones that just made me go, what? "Are the writers even trying?" <laughs> well, I wanted them to bring Dottie back. I wanted it to be more intelligently done than that. Yeah, it's like, I, I, as much as, like, the first season had its pitfalls and everything, I I thought that the the show was very smartly done. You know, it was well-written and everything. You liked a lot of the characters and everything. And in this season, it was almost like they were trying to openly make us not like them. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because, I mean, even, like, I was thinking Dottie would end up showing up, but I was thinking more like, um, Leviathan would break her out of prison, and then she would be sent on a mission to get the, what was that called, Zero Matter? Yeah. The Zero Matter, and, like, Peggy and her would butt heads in that way, but this whole thing of Peggy thinking somehow that she could get Dottie to do what she wanted and Jarvis was gonna, if it had been a different scenario where Peggy was fine and she was going somewhere with Dottie to keep an eye on her, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea that Jarvis would was just, like... Yeah. The guy who could catch a flamingo, okay? <laughs> Which was a funny scene and all, but it's like, again, I mean, if he couldn't catch a flamingo, he's not going to catch Dottie, okay? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the circumstance. Like, would it, if they'd had access to Howard, would they have been able to pull it off then? Maybe. Because at least with Howard, if he knows the situation, he's not going to fall prey to the the wiles of a woman that he, you know, is, already knows is a psychopath. The problem was that she had to go into a bathroom unobserved. No, yeah, that's you true. You know, it's not like Jarvis or Howard or anyone could go into the bathroom with her, and if they stood outside the door just watching it, that would, that would not be, I mean, people would know something was up, you well, know? at least with Howard, you would understand he probably just, you know, stumbled <laughs> in there anyways. <laughs> With his Howard Hughes, like, thing going on there, which I still enjoy when Dominic Cooper would show up. Like, he's he's almost like a breath of fresh air in a, you know, very short season, so. <laughs> what do you think of Red 
Foreman as the as the evil agent. You know, what? I love it whenever Kurtwood Smith shows up in anything because he's. <laughs> I just like him as a character actor. Yeah. But yeah, it was like I feel like they were really trying to double down on the amount of assholes they could throw in. <laughs> Not only Ray Wise, you know, coming back for a second turn, but also Kurtwood Smith. (laughs) On top of, what's his name, Uh, playing Jack. Oh, Chad Michael Murray. That's it. How did I still know his name? (laughs) I I just refer to him as Proto Ward. There we go. (laughs) I just remember when he used to be on, like, what, One Tree Hill, I think? Is that the WB show? I don't know. Anyway. Any (laughs) whoozle. Yeah, he, um... It just seems to me, it's just weird to me, because he seems to me like he could be related to Brett Dalton. There's something about their faces or something, yeah. it right. just seems to me like I could, that's why I, I, I'm like, is he supposed to be like Ward's grandfather or Ooh. something? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know, I like, I, I kind of wish that they had gotten a third season just to maybe course correct a little bit. Yeah, palate cleanser. Yeah, well, because it, because <laughs> it still feels like with Agent Carter, there was a lot of stuff you could have. St- there, there was plenty that you could still explore. I mean, oh, yeah. the 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 early days of Sh- you know we haven't even gotten to the creation of Shield yet, you know. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the end. The best part of the season was those last few minutes of that last episode. Right. It was like, what the heck? What's going on with Jack? And what's with the things that her brother did? And it's like, that's what I want. I want a season that explores that. Yeah. Like, yeah. just really get into it with, like, Peggy and her brother and everything. Because, I mean, Shannon, uh, Sharon's got to have come from somewhere. So. Right. Well, no, she was, she was a, like, a grandniece. Was she a grandniece? She, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and it, it. She says uh, Aunt Peggy and no, no, I know that part, but in terms of, like, how how many generations removed is she? Because as we extend the timeline out from World War II, <laughs> it becomes, oh, it becomes yeah. less plausible in terms of relations, like how old everyone is in relation to each other. Oh, yeah, yeah. Peggy's brother must have had a kid before he died, because, yeah, you're right, sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. Must have come from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it just would have been interesting to see, like, more of that family dynamic. Um uh-huh. Because I actually, I did like those little flashbacks. I, I kind of wish that it hadn't just been, oh, her brother encouraged her, so that's why she made these decisions. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure Peggy could have made a lot of decisions on her own, but fine. We'll give it a pass. He was charming, so. <laughs> I wish she hadn't spent half the season wondering if she should go with Jason or Sousa. I know, right? <laughs> Seems so above her. I would have liked to have seen her make a decision much quicker, and then that would have been fine. Yeah. It would have been nice if they just kind of, like, either started it off with, what if Sousa was over there on an extended stay, but he and Peggy were still together? Like, you know, and she used it as an excuse to come out and see him, and then certain things started happening. Like, all that kind of stuff. And then they can still be in conflict. I mean, uh, never mind. Um, But uh, do you have anything else you want to cover with uh, Agent Carter that you feel like we've left out or haven't talked about? No, like I say, I want the palate cleanser. Palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah, and it, still, it also feels like Marvel should just, like, take advantage and make a comic out of this, too. Like, there should be some kind of, like... I know that they were doing the Howling Commandos for a little bit um, in the comics, but it would actually be really fun to just have, like, Peggy Carter and the Howling Commandos or something like that. <laughs> or just... Yeah, I guess that's an idea, yet yeah, of how to continue it. I mean... I mean, I guess never say never, mm-hmm. you know, because in this day and age, we've seen how 
powerful the wave of nostalgia can be, green lighting all kinds of properties that I never thought I'd see. So Definitely. we may see Peggy back at some point. I hope so because I love I love the actress. I love it all, and you know, I I I want the um was it the dub smash uh <laughs> their little wars to keep going because it's so funny. <laughs> with ABC in general was that they wrote out two of the more interesting characters that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had added which was um, uh, Bobby and uh, Hunter Mm -hmm. and they were going to do a spinoff show called Marvel's Most Wanted and um, and that's the whole reason they wrote them out of season three uh, because basically they were burned um, you know in the sense of spies whereas like S.H.I.E.L.D. has disavowed all knowledge of them because they were caught doing something that they couldn't allow them to uh, they they couldn't like uh, prove their existence and also that they condoned it Mm -hmm. Um, and so because of that they're they're on the outs and um, uh, and I was fine with that when I thought they were getting their own show Mm -hmm. but ABC ordered the pilot and then did not take it to series that's interesting and so not only did they cancel Agent Carter, because a lot of us thought, okay, well, they're replacing Agent Carter with Most Wanted then, mm-hmm. and so they're not, they're, they're neither doing Agent Carter or Most Wanted, which really pisses me off, because I really like Bobby and Hunter, and I hope they integrate them back into Season 4 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, somehow, but... Uh, well, given that Daisy's on the lam, she might be with Hunter and, and you know, Mockingbird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, they could do it that way. But yeah, what I've heard is that the new president of ABC, like, really hates the Marvel stuff, <laughs> and um, that's why she's moved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to 10 o'clock Eastern Uh-oh. for next year, which a lot of people feel like she's putting it out to die, <laughs> and uh, canceled Agent Carter and killed Most Wanted, so hmm. not, not good for Marvel. <laughs> so can't they just go to the Disney, like, parents and be like, hey, put them back, <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I know that Disney owns ABC, but I feel like they probably give ABC some autonomy to decide what their programming is. Yeah, what their programming is. I mean, I, I suppose they shouldn't micromanage every decision. I've, I've worked in those kinds of places. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hmm. You might have a point there, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so we're we're good on Agent Carter now, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So let's move on to Daredevil Season 2. Daredevil! Woo! Um, and we've never talked about Daredevil Season 1. Did you like it? Did you not? I liked it. Excellent. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> considering I we're... up the whole season. Right there. Well, considering we're getting close to two and a half hours, we might want to try to curb it. So. <laughs> but this is us, so... Right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Um, well, I feel like I, it's been a while since I watched season one too. So I mean, yeah. while I have things I can talk about, it's not really in, as in depth. Yeah. No. The the one thing that I can say about season one that um, I don't feel like season two really followed through on was the singular story, the singular villain. Um, because when it was Matt Murdock versus the Kingpin, and you were seeing both of their kind of origins as the as the series progressed, you at least got to know them in a way that was effective in how you felt about them. Like we were on board with kind of both of them, quite frankly. You know, we we in a sense did understand the Kingpin, and it's Vincent D'Onofrio, so it's kind of like, of course, it's going to be acted the hell out of. <laughs> Um, but he was, honest to God, like, probably one of the best Marvel villains, right, you know, to date. So, yeah. um, at least you understood what his plan was. <laughs> right. 
destroy the city. Uh, of course. But in in the interesting thing with season two is that, yes, they split it mostly, you know, kind of down the middle a little bit with, with Punisher and Elektra, but it was very clear that they did not know how to incorporate the Elektra and the uh, the hand um, into the the bigger story with the Punisher. Um, because the Punisher stuff was, like, <laughs> way better. <laughs> like, ten times better than the Elektra stuff. Um, wh- what did you think, Nathan? Interesting. Um, I, uh, I actually loved it all. <laughs> oh, did, that's fine. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, I mean, you talked about how well the Kingpin was, was established, and I feel like he was, but come on, I mean, do you need anything more than one batch, two batch, Penny and Dime? <laughs> <laughs> the feels! No, I mean, but that's the thing, like, I think they did, um, because the Punisher, in terms of what he represents not only like in the show but in just the Marvel universe in general it, it's it's hard to imagine this guy as a hero like it's by but if you were to just describe him on paper like wrote it down for people he'd be like this guy is clearly the bad guy you know like he, well, no, well, that's why I'm happy that they didn't do a standalone thing first and it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I felt the movie versions of the Punisher never worked as well because I feel like you really need to establish him as a counterpoint to somebody else. Exactly. I mean, and that's why he it was so effective because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, you know, Matt is Matt is focused on justice, but he's also kind of an ends justify the means guy as well. You know, he's still he's still beating the shit out of people. Um, we can't pretend that some of them probably didn't die of, you know, injuries caused by Daredevil. Um, but at the same time, you understand where Matt's coming from in terms of he's worried about his immortal soul, like how his Catholicism feeds his sense of guilt and duty and justice and all that stuff. Well, I like the conversation he has with Frank on the rooftop. Right. When they have their first conversation where he's basically saying, I have to draw a line. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, or, or it would never stop. Exactly. You know, I, I like, like, how, how deep down would I go? Mm-hmm. in doing horrible things if I don't draw that line. I And I agree with that. He, he's had to, and you're right, it's informed by his Catholicism, but it's also, you know, something where he just realizes, you know, that there there has to be some standard because there's no standard and there's, you know, there's, he, he, he will just become a monster. Well, and he enforces rules on himself because he's seen how the justice system just doesn't follow its own rules. Like, and, and that's also like hugely important to him is that, you know, he has this, his own sense of fairness and justice and what he's seen is not a fair and just system. Um, so he's trying to enforce it in his own way. Um, whereas, you know, Frank is just like, fuck it, just kill everybody. Um, which is effective in its own way. Yes, I agree. Um, but that's what I, and I, and I love how they set that up early because then when Matt is just so at his breaking point. He's so exhausted. He's just tired uh, of everything. When he actually suggests to Frank that maybe his way might be better, and Frank tells him no, like that's uh, that's one of many very powerful moments in the series that have to do with Punisher and and Daredevil. And I feel like they really like were so solid on making those two guys like like so real. I guess. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that, and they made me feel... I've never really cared much for the Punisher. Mm-hmm. I know they're probably gasps of shock from this <laughs> you know, because he's, you know, one of the most popular, you know, characters, but to me, 
the fact that he is just the guy that runs around shooting people like makes him less. Because while that is very realistic, and you know, it's it's you know, uh, you know, and it's something that that people could do and could understand. I feel like I would still rather, if I was a guy without powers, be more like Batman mm-hmm. because I would rather be someone that has a moral center, mm-hmm. which. Frank, as I've seen him depicted often, now to be fair, I haven't read many issues of the actual Punisher comic just when he's in other people's books. Mm-hmm. It always seems like he's just a psycho that wants to just mow everyone down with machine, you know. <laughs> so, I, I feel like that might be a fair assessment of most of them, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I felt like this did a much, did a very good job of humanizing this man. Mm-hmm. Of, of, I felt like the whole brain damage aspect, which I don't think is from the comics, which yeah. I think that they've invented. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole idea that he's constantly reliving that moment. Yeah. And he's going through that anxiety over and over again mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, helps to sell. Yeah. This is a sympathetic guy. They, they don't necessarily, I mean, they, and they very much go out of their way not to absolve him of everything. They're, they're not saying, like, oh, he, you know, he didn't know what he was doing, but they do set it up where you're like, no, you can still find sympathy for this man. Like, don't get us wrong, he's still kind of an asshole at times, but, you know, that's just what Frank is right now. But at the same time, especially when he was on trial and everything, and in those moments when he was talking to Karen, you know, you could see the the actual humanity there. And yeah. that made it much more palatable when he was just, you know killing everyone else later <laughs> so how do you like clancy brown showing up i feel like when they cast when he they brought him in because <laughs> it's like it's clancy brown guys if he isn't playing the villain you're not doing your job right, <laughs> right. <laughs> not that he can't play a good guy i mean he's played plenty of just like normal dudes sometimes but yeah i almost wanted it to be a trick like they're like oh, we'll bring in Clancy Brown, and he just seems like this guy. And, and it wasn't, because they bring him in, like, what, middle middle of it? Yeah, I think around the middle, yeah. Yeah, and they don't really reveal him as the villain until he shows up again in, like, the second or the, you know, the second to last or the last episode. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the second you see him again, you're like, oh, he's the villain. Because <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't in that, the, the first episode he was in, he wasn't in it for very long. Right. He was just on uh, on the stand to make you go like, oh, his his commander, you know, you know, feels this way about him. So then when he shows up again, and if people are like you and I who are very well aware of who Clancy Brown is, <laughs> you just kind of look at that and you're like, oh yeah, he's totally the villain. <laughs> Still, it's Clancy Brown, so I can't really fault them on that one. Lex Luthor shows up in a Daredevil. Oh my God! Right. Uh, show. Though. I will say the reveal of the kingpin yes. coming back was probably the best reveal. Total surprise. Right. In fact, I was lamenting during the season that it's too bad. I'm like, I, you know, it's too bad that, it, you know, either they, they don't want to deal with the kingpin anymore, they feel like his story is over, or they're going to deal with him at some point in the future, mm-hmm. because it just feels wrong to not have him here. And then... Frank walks in, and there he is, pumping iron, and I'm like, oh my god, it's the kingpin! It was so perfect! And I love that they devote that entire episode to, like, showing how he got, you know, he rose to power inside the prison. Right, he kept track of what everybody wanted, and mm-hmm. gave them what they wanted so that they'd be loyal to him, and oh. it was just, like, took care of their families and stuff, and it was so just, perfect. like... perfect. And the, like, the pop- 
piles of notepads he had that he had taken on everybody. <laughs> no, and and I love I love that they show how methodical he is. Like now, you, and it, and I think it does a really good job. I even better, I think, than uh, in the previous season of showing you how he got to where he is. You know, like you you can see how he would have gotten into a position of power because in a very in using the prison as a microcosm, basically, they just show you in a matter of months. Like, look what happened. Like he's running the joint now. Um, I, I oh, did you notice also after Matt confronted him in prison that it seems like he figured it out that he's Daredevil? Oh yeah, no, no, no. Like I and and that's what I was going to mention. It was like he basically figures out that Matt Murdock is Daredevil based on how he punches him. Yep. Like, and I love that. Like it's it's almost like a kiss. It's like his signature. <laughs> I, I just like he's like I think because he's he's just feeling his face a little bit, like you know if it's sore or whatever, and he's like I've felt that way before. Four. What? Right. It's like, give me the file on Matt Murdock. He's just like, yes, because, and at the very least, they can leave it open that maybe he doesn't know quite yet. But at at the very least, what they're showing is that he's not an idiot, you know, right. and that's what you need from a guy who could ostensibly take over an entire portion of a city within <sighs> maybe a couple of months, you know, if un if uh you know um. Uh, unheated or, or God, impeded, whatever. I'm losing words, it's getting late. <laughs> but uh, but also the fact that Van- you know his uh, his wife is still kind of his like uh, sticking point, and that's how Matt really gets to him. He's like, I will make sure that she's never, you know, you will never see her again, and all that stuff. Like it's it it's good to know that you can still get both characters to a point where they can push each other's buttons because that's always going to be interesting. <laughs> Okay, so now I want you to tell me why Elektra is good in this series. Um, because it brings in the hand. <laughs> okay, so she's good because she brings in an entirely different thing in. And we have the chaste, even though, did they call them the chaste in this? I think they might have. It's possible. Um, and it gave a stick, and the whole background was stick and Elektra, and the whole thing where then Stick tries to have Elektra killed, and <laughs> then she turns on him, and it was all just wonderful and beautiful, and I was so happy. But really, the problem here here's where I'll here's where I'll agree with you mm-hmm. is that it felt like we had season two A mm-hmm. and season two B that wasn't that weren't linear. Yeah, they were kind of interwoven as far as episodes but never show the plots actually merge where what's happening in the one storyline is really... Yeah. You know, it didn't feel like a cohesive season. It felt like, it was like, well, you should have had, like, a mini-season and then another mini-season. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you wanted. Because um, I can see where they were trying to put, you know, push it together, especially with, like, Matt, like, continually missing out on briefings and not being as involved in, mm-hmm. in the Punisher case. I see that, and I understand that's where they were trying to go with it, but it just never felt like it quite, it, it quite meshed, you know? Yeah. I, um... The other thing that I guess didn't work for me is that, and again, I, I don't like that. I mean, shows do this kind of stuff all the time, and it always bothers me. Is it's like you can't sell me on Matt and Karen when you're also trying to sell me on Matt and Electra. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, it's like are you telling you can't have a love triangle? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, you can't. I mean, you can't tell me that it's serious. <laughs> <laughs> 
the affairs of the heart, Nathan, are never so clear. Jeez. I don't know. I just. I can just tell you. Old fashioned. Call me old fashioned, but I feel like you should love people in sequence, not at the same time. (laughs) Sequence? (laughs) You know how love is sequential? (laughs) First you love this person, then you love that person. (laughs) (laughs) But they want to sell it on us on the idea that, like, almost like Electra and Matt are soulmates. Mm hmm. Well, at the same time, he's, like, in love with Karen and wants everything with Karen to be good. And, you know, that's the part where I'm just, like, you can't really do that. I mean, either they're soulmates or they're not. I mean, it's, like... Well, and the, and the thing is, like, what they were, you know, starting to do with Karen... They were they were trying to also juxtapose Karen and Electra in, in, in the way that Matt might view them. Because Karen is, in his mind pure you know she's uh the woman he saved and you know she's blonde and (laughs) he can't tell yes well he he could sort of he's gotta know that she's blonde oh yeah i mean somebody's probably told her oh yeah i will did they ever say that he you know he probably can't perceive color at this point he can't perceive color okay because it's just a world on fire so red um sees lots of red um Like, but I think in his mind's eye, because he doesn't know anything about in terms of like Karen having killed a guy and, you know, whatever sordid past they're trying to not tell us about, but kind of telling us about at the same time, because uh, they always bring up something with her well, past. Yeah, I think they're trying to go with the idea that she was a porn star. Okay. Uh, just from the comics. Right. Um, when they talk about her, like, sordid past, but maybe not. Yeah, it, it could, I, I imagine there are a few things they could probably incorporate in there, because she was a drug addict at one point in the in the comics as well, wasn't she? Well, yeah, that was when she was a porn star, she was also a drug addict. Okay, yeah. then they could use either one of those storylines and be fine. Right. Uh, it wouldn't be fine, but it would be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, in terms of how Matt's looking at everything, I feel like... They were trying to go with, like, oh, Karen represents all of this, like, I could have a, you know, quote-unquote normal life kind of thing, and blah 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 where uh, Electra represents the, um, I guess, the more appealing aspects of the vigilante lifestyle. You know, she's the she's the more experienced woman. Like, if you, especially if you really want to get into the Frank Miller's design, it's, it's virgins and whores. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like that's they were trying to do that without completely going Frank Miller on it, but it's kind of there. Um, even though I'm not, I'm I've not been sold on Karen. Even she just doesn't. I don't know what it is about the actress or the character, but when she ends up on the murder bus at the end, it's uh, it just the fact of the matter that they don't show her actually getting kidnapped to be put on the murder bus is a problem for me because she's just in there doing work, leaves, and then suddenly she's on murder bus. Right. No, I'm glad you said that, because, yeah, I agree with you, actually. Um, Karen hasn't really been all that big of a deal to me. I I liked it a little bit when she was working with Ben Urich in season one, but I don't feel like... Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, the whole idea of them trying to make her into a reporter and everything in this season, that whole storyline just didn't work for me. I did like her interaction with the, the, the boss of the paper. Yeah. 
I felt like their just their dialogue with each other was good, but yeah, the whole like she just keeps showing up and suddenly just kind of like stumbles into a job as a journalist. Like, like I guess that's how that works now. Is that how investigative journalism happens? You just kind of show up and annoy the boss to the point where he just like lets you go through records. The other interesting thing about the Matt Electro dynamic to me is this whole idea that he feels like he can save her somehow. Yeah, that too. And it's almost like he's trying to martyr himself. Well, like... Sanctimonious Matt is, like, full-on <laughs> present throughout this entire season. And it's really friggin' annoying. And it's like, you know, if I take this ultimate sacrifice to be with this beautiful woman, <laughs> I can lead her to the, to the straight and narrow path. And I, I feel like, I mean, you touched on something there, too, because, you know, Electra's storyline very much felt like it was lacking the agency that she needed, I think, in certain cases. Or, you know, like when she's poisoned and she's just being like, I want to be good for you, Matthew, like all that kind of stuff. It would have made, I don't know, it felt like it would have made more sense if it had been less about, like, she wants to be good for him, but she just like, I just want to be good. You know, if if, she, if they had left that part out, like she's just like, I just want to feel like I'm good. You know, at least you could have left it open to a little bit more subtlety that she could either be talking about that in terms of just herself, or maybe she wants Matt to think of her as good. You know, that kind of stuff. No, I, I think that that would have been stronger. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I feel like this was all set up for Electra for full-on villain Electra that we're going to get if there is a season three, so... I feel like season three is a no-brainer at this point. Like, it still did really well. Yeah. Um, Well, except there's been no announcement for it, which has been kind of bothering me. Well, because they've got, what, they announced the Punisher, they're going to be doing, what, they got um, Luke Cage coming out soon, what, November, I think. Uh, September. September? Okay, never mind. Uh, September for Luke Cage. I mean, they're filming Iron Fist right now. Uh, they're going to do the Fearless Defenders at some, you know, after that, and then they're going to do, I think, Jessica Jones season two. Um, I thought Jessica Jones season two was coming before Defenders, but but they said they're just back to back. I guess I assume Jessica Jones season two, then Defenders, but it might be Defenders. I I think it could be either way. I mean, it'll really depend, but at least for now we know Luke Cage is the next one on the docket. Right. Um, and then after, the one that has a date. Yes, and it's fully filmed, and I can't wait to see it because it's going to be awesome, hopefully. <laughs> you just want to see people take a buzzsaw to his, uh, to his abs. <laughs> that was a very informative scene. <laughs> Don't you dare tell me it wasn't informative. <laughs> I will fight you. <laughs> But yeah, if they have more scenes like that, I'm not going to tell them to stop. I mean, <laughs> it just reminded me of Highlander, where it's like, of course, to make the woman sleep with me, I just stab myself in front of her. Of course, I mean, that's the only way women respond to things, right? right. It's like, oh no, he tried to kill himself. My God, is he sexy? Right. That's that's well, how no, we it's are. The fact that he couldn't kill himself, so yeah. that means that he has good staying power. Well, of course, he will provide many children. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'll tell you what was painful to me, and and the only really strong... I actually preferred season two to season one of Daredevil. Really? Um, Yeah, I... And again, this is me being kind of, like, old-fashioned, I guess, but Mm -hmm. I felt like this was more of a superhero show. Um, The second season? Yeah, the second season. Okay. (laughs) 
and I felt like it was, um, I felt like the violence was a little less, which I actually appreciate because there's still plenty of violence, oh, but yeah. it wasn't as visceral, mm-hmm. I guess is the word that I would use, where season one, like, left me uncomfortable in some scenes, um, so I, I, I preferred it. It was more to my sensibilities, I mm-hmm. guess I'll say. The problem that I... The, the, the thing to, to me was the big problem mm-hmm. was I've already seen Matt and Foggy have a falling out. Yeah. I didn't need to have Matt and Foggy have another falling out that was even worse. And, <laughs> you know, because how the season opened with them, with Foggy knowing, mm-hmm. and with them, you know, with him not being necessarily 100% cool with it. Yeah. But understanding that it was something Matt needed to do, mm-hmm. I would have been fine with the whole season of that. Even with it creating a little bit of friction or something where he gets mad at Matt because Matt's not showing up to meetings or whatever, but not to get to the point where we were already at. Yeah. Where it, they're just like full on on the outs now. We're, you know, we're, we're going to dissolve our partnership because, you know, I'm like we just did that story. <laughs> Well, and, and I, no, I understand it, yeah, it's like, we're retreading old ground, I mean, the first time it was just, oh no, their friendship might be on the rocks, and this time around, it's, the stakes are a bit higher, it's not only their friendship, but their partnership, like, the whole Nelson and Murdoch avocados at Lara, you know, are <laughs> completely gone, but I feel like it's also setting up something interesting in terms of Foggy is going to be working for the law firm that represents the heroes for hire, because Jerry is the one that, you know, from Jessica Jones, takes him on. I know, and uh, but I don't think they're going heroes. If they were going to go heroes for hire, they wouldn't have done Defenders. Because this is one of my problems with what Marvel's doing in general. Mm-hmm. They took the name Defenders, which none of these characters that they're going to put in there are, def- are from the Defenders. Oh, okay. <laughs> Defenders is Doctor Strange, Hulk, Namor, uh, Nighthawk, Hellcat... Uh, well, I guess Hellcat might. We yeah. might Hellcat from Jessica Jones, maybe. Trish could show up. <laughs> if Trish ever does actually become Hellcat, you know, just because they've used the name Trish doesn't mean that they're, they're going to go to Hellcat. With mm-hmm. Either way, I mean, but, you know, those are the characters in The Defenders, not Luke Cage, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist. They've yeah. never been Defenders. And it's like, I always said, why aren't they doing Heroes for Hire? And I think it's the whole fact that they're for hire and therefore take money and they're like, oh, well, no, 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 you know, yeah. that's not heroic enough. But, no. you know, God forbid level... people try to take money for doing some work. <laughs> right. But for the street level characters, I feel like it would have been okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're going that route yeah. um, with them. I think she's just going to be like the Jessica Jones lawyer. Uh, character, which, yeah, we'll probably see him uh, in season two of, of Jessica Jones, but at the same time, it's like, I don't want to have Daredevil without Foggy, so that means they have to patch up, which we've already kind of done that storyline too, so, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we, I guess one would hope that, you know, if if and when they patch things up, which you never know how far they're going to take it, it could still just be a begrudging friendship. I mean, the thing with Foggy and Matt is that, you know, they really do care about each other, but there's just this big daredevil-sized thing that gets in the way. <laughs> so, um, it'll definitely be interesting to see not only how that works out, but maybe in conjunction with, like, the Kingpin uh, finding out who Matt is, and since he knows that Foggy is, you know, was his partner, he would probably go after Foggy first. You know? Yeah. So, that could probably be the thing that gets them back together. The other 
thing that bothered me, and this is some, this is this is a very minor thing, but it bothers me because I like Stick a lot. Mm. Um, and, and by the way, I mean Stick has always been awesome. I mean, <laughs> they portrayed him in the series; he's just fantastic. Well, Scott but, Glenn, how do you? Yeah, God, yeah, like... Scott Glenn is just, and the whole father son thing with him and Matt is just so perfectly done. Yeah. Of two people who like love and respect each other, but can never say that they love and respect each other. Just because they're men, they're such <laughs> men. <laughs> But they, they they gave a stick, and what weapon does he yield but a sword? Okay, he's called stick for a reason, people. Sword he's could be a, a stick. Bow staff. <laughs> Bow staff, that is stick's weapon. And while, yeah, I mean, he can use a sword, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he can use all kinds of weapons, but his primary weapon is a bow staff, and it bothers me that he does not use a bow staff one time <laughs> in that whole season. <laughs> Did you, did you just want them to cut to him just holding a bow staff and you would have been fine? Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know, it's just, it just again, it's semantics, but it's one of those things where I'm just like, I mean, they're using the character, why not? I yeah. mean, okay, when he wants to kill a hand guy, give him a sword, but, you know, for other scenes, give him his bow staff. I mean, the, it's like it's like if Donatello suddenly had a sword. <laughs> You would be questioning that, right? You're like, what's going? Did he become Leonardo? Like, <laughs> well, and yet it stands to reason. Like, if his name is Stick, there's usually a reason for that. You know, you don't just call a guy Stick right. <laughs> unless it's because he's really tall. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. I think, and I'm not sure of the whole lore of the character, but it's probably is something like that. He was proficient with the bow staff, and so people just started calling him Stick. And, mm-hmm. You know. See, this is how I feel with a lot of the DC shows when they take like, you know, it's like my, it's minute little details. We're like, why did you change it? Why did you do that? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Again, again, it's not something that like, to me, like makes the season, you know, worse or whatever. It just is a strange change for seemingly no benefit yeah it's it's basically how i feel about them constantly referring to star city as starling city it's <laughs> they just finally like changed that though. did they officially like did they because it it still feels like they're calling it starling at times uh i i think they've been fairly consistent this season calling it star city now third season even though ray introduced the idea of star city mm-hmm. um they they kept calling it starling but this season after ray supposedly died they they implied because there's the big sign that like in Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure they've called it Star City consistently in this season. Yeah, it's still a stupid thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) I stand by my reason that calling it Starling to begin with was stupid, and the way they renamed it was stupid. (laughs) Yes. No, I I completely agree. Excellent. We are in agreement. (laughs) (laughs) We have an accord. Excellent. (laughs) I like seeing Madame Gao also. Right? She's always kind of fun. (laughs) <laughs> and she's you got... still are wondering, like, what is up with this woman that right? knows way too much, and... <laughs> she's got, like, some mystical, magical powers going on. Uh-huh. And what was it... Okay, who's the guy that he thought he burned alive and then came back? Was it she... Nobu. Uh, Nobu? Yeah, Nobu. Nobu, never mind. Okay. So, <laughs> Nobu. <laughs> it's like, is he gonna keep coming back and dying? <laughs> or... Oh, no, wait... <laughs> No, go ahead, sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, they, they, 
they should, uh, they, yeah, they should just find new ways to kill him every <laughs> season and have him come back in the following season. Yeah, no, and I was just thinking because I think Stick actually beheaded him at the end. Oh, at, at, that's right. Yeah, yeah, after they fight all the ninjas, like all of the ninjas. <laughs> you know, I'm just so happy that they're doing the hand and really going for it because. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole idea of, like, these ninja that can be brought back to the life and everything, it's just like, I was like, will they ever go that, you know, that far, you know, off, you know, it, it, you know away from being a grounded show? And yes, mm. they will. <laughs> Turns out, looks like they will. Well, and it's interesting because Marvel, you know, ha- has this issue where they haven't really introduced magic yet. Right. And so... With the hand, you know, especially when you get into, like, Iron Fist, and now with Doctor Strange as well, we'll see, like, maybe they'll handle it better than DC television has so far. (laughs) Well, I'm still annoyed with Thor, um, when the whole science and magic are, you know, are the same thing, and it's like, no, they're not! (laughs) Shut your mouth! (laughs) You stop talking now, Thor! (laughs) Stupid god of thunder! It's like stupid, sexy Thor. <laughs> well, maybe somebody will take a, a bandsaw to his uh, to his abs. No, well, you never know. It might actually hurt him this time. <laughs> what with Ragnarok coming? <laughs> okay, so we're getting close to three hours here. That's uh, I'm trying not to elaborate on the things you're saying. I know, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, is there anything that you still wanted to touch on with Daredevil before we end? Or um, we, you think we're pretty good on it? Uh, I think we're pretty good on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kingpin. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> it was just like, man, Kingpin. <laughs> I, oh, actually, actually, sorry. So, so there is one thing I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Everyone kept on saying that fight in the stairwell, and I think the third episode, maybe it was the second, was better than the fight in the hallway in the first season. What do you think of that? I disagree. I disagree as well. Yeah, I feel like the the one in the hallway was much better done because um, I, I know you were getting kind of tired of the visceral feeling, but I felt like that was the fight that really sold me on Daredevil. Um, just because of how they showed, like, how tired he was getting, like, the exhaustion of actual fighting, um, and just, like, the one-shot aspect of it, I thought was really well done. It was very claustrophobic with the hallway and everything. The, the stairwell one started to get really old, eventually, like, and the, I feel like the effects were really noticeable, too, in that, like, each time he swung that chain in a certain way, like, it was interesting, it was cool the first couple of times, but then, like, the more he kept using it, it's like, ugh, I don't think you rendered that as well as you did last time. Well, what my wife and I were saying was, this feels like a video game. Right, yeah, I did. You, you know, because so you got the perspective you would in a video game, you're right behind him as he moves around, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, yeah, it's, you're playing Daredevil the video game there, whereas, see, I like the whole scene, I don't feel like that was, I felt like that was realistic. Mm-hmm. More so than what I mean by visceral is when something is really quick and 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 shows gore or you know shows pain and damage in a way that I feel like is too much. Mm-hmm. Whereas in that, it was more you were farther removed from it. You know, it was a long shot. Yeah, but you were also and all the things you talked about. You he actually took damage. 
Mm-hmm. Which one of the things that annoys the crap out of me? Civil War and Winter Soldier annoyed the crap out of me with how much like Cap was getting bashed around mm-hmm. and would just like get up and just run around. And I'm like, he is not super powered. <laughs> he is like a, he is like a regular athlete. You know, I mean, he's an athlete of of everything. You know, like he's the best swimmer, best runner, whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's not superhuman in any way. If somebody falls out of the building like four stories onto their back. They don't just get up and start running after somebody, okay? So <laughs> Obviously, you haven't watched 24. <laughs> Jack Bauer died and then was brought back to life and then was immediately running after a helicopter. All right, but anyway, so, so, so that's typical action movie stuff, yeah. right? Where, you know, the people, like, you know, damage means nothing. And I love the fact they showed him getting tired and actually being affected by the fight. I loved how they subtly, like, showed his powers by him preparing for people who were, you know, out of what his line of vision would be if he could see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they that was so well done. But yeah, the, the thing in the stairwell, I don't get why everyone is, is, is so excited about it, because to me it was not in any way special. Yeah, it, it, I, I can understand that they were trying to go for a similar feel to the to the hallway, but yeah, I feel like it went on too long. Like they really could have you know chopped that up a little bit more, and it would have been I think a tighter um, fight. Uh, because I mean that's the thing with a show like this is that once you do something as special as that fight in the hallway, it's really hard to replicate it and. And I guess I give them kudos for trying, but it's just like, yeah, you guys should have, like, edited that down a little bit and maybe not made it feel so much like a video game. (laughs) That would have been top-notch right there. Press the A button faster, Matt. Faster! Faster! It's like, no, no, square, square, circle, circle! God! uh. Finishing move! (laughs) Finish him! Oh my god. Fatality. It's been so long since my arcade days. Um, okay, I think now we should probably end it. But uh, Nathan, always, it's, I love talking about this stuff with you. It's so great. And obviously, yes, and anyone who has made it this far, good for you. Because I feel like these are just for me and Nathan now. Oh no no! It's just anyone anyone who made it this far. It's like well done. Right. <laughs> you you stuck with it, and I'm very proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, before we go, uh, do you want to you know plug forty two cast? Uh, tell people where they can find you online. Sure. Um, so yeah, you can find me on uh, blogger underscore who dot live journal dot com, which I haven't done much with, but I'm about to start uh, writing some more blog posts soon. Um, I also contribute reviews to the Earth Station One uh, website, uh, which is esopodcast dot com. Mm-hmm. And yes, the forty two cast is coming. Um, I'm hoping for uh, sometime in July. Uh, the exact date, as far as when we go live. Uh, hasn't been decided yet, but um, I've already recorded one really awesome episode with Sam and a few other friends, Woo-hoo. and uh, I'm listening back to it, and I think that uh, I think that everyone's going to enjoy it. It was a lot of fun recording. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still recording a few more episodes, uh, you know, uh, over the next few weeks, so hopefully when we go live, we'll be able to 
you know, uh, have a fairly uh, steady schedule uh, for a while. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, just check it out. It's uh, 42 Cast, which is uh, the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. Ah, nice. Yes, and I, yeah, I look forward to being guest on many, many, many <laughs> podcasts yes. to come. Um, and the details for Maniacal Geek and That Girl with the Curls should be well known by now, but uh, for those who need to know, it's at Darling underscore Sammy, S-A-M-M-Y on Twitter, uh, ManiacalGeek.com, uh, where you can also find uh, the podcast and articles that I write as sporadically as I do at this point. Uh, and you can go onto iTunes and download us, as well as SoundCloud. So please go and do all those things, and uh, yeah. Uh, Once again, Nathan, thank you so much for being here, and uh, good night, everybody. Good night! So, I've been calling you for about two days now, and I I want to see you, darling, I really do, you know, because I think of you, and uh, all of me kind of goes a little bit crazy, so uh, I believe it's a match, darling.